fight and we don't have to kill everybody in the whole wide world really just needs to chill no we don't have to fuss no 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 we don't have to fight hello welcome back to just chill with oliver george we are episode 15 now um I'm so excited, I can't even freaking think right now, but uh, I'll do the basic shit first. Uh, subscribe, you guys, please, if you haven't, and if you already have, thank you so much. If you're hearing us audio only through Spotify or something like that, come and check us out on YouTube and see what we look like, you know? Uh, contact info, if you got a cool guest idea or you just want to give some feedback, that's just chillpodcasting at gmail.com. Now, to intro my guest, this is just insanity because uh, 24 hours ago or so, this was not a thing, and now here you are. Uh, I feel like I have to, since we're recording in a basement, I got to quote uh, Wayne Campbell here and say, we're not worthy. Oh, stop it. Stop um, it. <laughs> hey, man. The great George Strombolopoulos is oh, here. You're kind to say it. Thank you. Hey, nice to see you. Yeah, you commented on a YouTube, I don't want an Instagram post yesterday, depending on when this airs. And I, uh, and you said whenever you're in Ottawa and I'm like, dude, I'm in Ottawa tomorrow. And I thought you were kind of just fucking with me or something, but I was like, this would be Which cruel. is something I would do, but not be cruel, but I would be like, Hey, if I can, I can. Uh, and then, uh, you and your pops were gracious enough to pick me up at the airport today and, uh, and bring an me honor, here. Man. My, my event is until six forty-five in the morning, which is so early. Um, and I just thought, yeah, before I head back to the, or check into the hotel, let's do this. And we appreciate it so much. Happy and whatever time you can afford us. Um, no, I'm here, man. Whatever you need. Before we get started, I do got to say a Apologies to Janelle Niles for bailing on the show tonight. Uh, everyone go see Comedy at Eddie's. It's a great show. She always gets uh, local comedians, lets new people try out new stuff. She's just a great person. So thanks, Janelle. Sorry about this, but I think you understand. Um, so, man, I just want to start by talking about uh, how you got your start. I know you did radio first, but yep. you first came on my radar when I was a teenager and you were doing the Much Music gig. Okay. So uh, first I want to say just like how influential you were to me. Even like the fashion I was wearing. If you had like a chain hanging from your pocket, yeah, which I did, I'd be yeah. doing it like the week later. You got your lip pierced. I got my librette, you know, that kind <laughs> yeah. of stuff. Um, but what funny. I, I wanted to ask about the much music period was uh, what did you learn during that period as far as interviewing people? Because I, I have to imagine that was some of your biggest exposure to like big names and stuff like that. It, it was. You know, I started, uh, I think my first radio job was in 1992. And my first TV job was in 1994 five or six okay. and then i got the much music thing at the end of the 90s so 1999 uh when i started working in fact i would have been there 20 years ago now uh in january february just passed is, yeah because yeah, we are we are i was prepping getting ready for my first show to air in april of uh of 2000 um i learned a ton about interviewing at that point because all of my uh interviewing experience before that was radio and i actually think that that's what position to be to have a chance of succeeding in, in TV and having a chance of succeeding in much music because if you think about those much music VJs uh, and hosts, they were the original influencers uh, pre-social media. That's true. Uh, anything from fashion to music taste. And the truth is, much music was a really inclusive place. So everybody who would run home from school found something they could like. And I know a lot of people, like I didn't watch much music growing up because I didn't have cable, but also um, the, much music didn't play the kind of music that I liked, mm. except when there was a metal show on. So when I got to Much and they offered me the new music, that was the show that I did watch because it was on a, on a free TV channel yeah. called City TV in Toronto. Um, when they offered me the job to host the new music, I, I, I said I would do it, but my condition was I got to host Loud. And, and you did the punk show too, right? Well, then I started doing Loud, and what happened was there was no punk show on Much Music, so I went to the bosses who never watched any of the shows I made anyway, and I just said to them, I'm playing a lot of punk videos on the metal show, so I think you should give me a punk show. And they're they like, yeah, yeah, whatever, cool. 
and Damn. we started the punk show, and that's, that's how it started. And so that the was punk a great show. show. It was really fun, you know. And that show was super DIY. Uh, I would honestly, I had a camera that I signed out of Much Music. I think I still have it actually. <laughs> and I would go. Uh, I'd walk down the street to a bar around the corner from my house or a little club, which is now a furniture store, but it, it was the place where all the punk bands would be and even the metal bands. And I would just pick a kid and go, hey, can you film this, please? And I would hand them the camera and I would do the interviews with the bands and then I would turn the camera around and showcase the kids who are in the band and then I would go home to my computer and I would just put the TV on and I would edit it. I didn't know how to edit and it was pre-YouTube, so there was no way to learn how to edit unless you just figured it out. Yeah. So I just Child sat there. And, yeah, and I, totally, I taught myself how to edit a show. And I brought that show to Much Music, and I handed it to this guy called the Doctor, Michael Emberley, who was an amazing, still is an amazing editor. And I had it, I handed it to Michael, and he inserted the videos that I asked for, and uh, boom. And then I would take the tape, go downstairs to the Much Music Master Control, hand it to the cat, and then he would put it in a press play, or she would put it in a press play, and or even they would put it in a press play. And the idea was that it was super punk, man, because. It was just myself and a couple of punk kids who happened to be around would just make a show. And that's how we did it all the time. So I learned how to make television by just trying to make television. And I think that taught me a lot about how to interview and how to present myself on the air. Well, and you and you let those people that were looking for that kind of music have a place where they could actually go on mainstream television and be like, oh, other people like punk. Cool. You, you, you know the band The Flatliners? Uh, punk Canadian band, yeah. yeah. They, they, um, they were one of the like band of teenagers that would be our camera operators who went on to sell lots of records and have tons of videos and play tons of tours. Um, 18 years old, I some 41, did stuff with them at the time, uh, even Simple Plan. I think I played Simple Plan on the radio when they were 14 or 15 years old. Yeah, they had a young start. Yeah, but they didn't have a song on the radio before. They didn't even have an album. I just heard a song. This woman I know, this girl, this kid came and goes, hey, this is my friend's band. They just recorded this track. I played it. It was that song, I'm Just a Kid. Boom, they get signed, and then they have their amazing career. Some yeah. their Simple Plan are great. Um, so all these bands kind of came out of this little punk and metal world, uh, you know, back in that, that late 90s, early 2000s. It was a really cool time for music in Canada. Well, and you used to get uh, cool videos popping up on Music Plus a lot, I would find, too. A lot more yeah. Uh, yeah. sort of... Oh, yeah. I guess if you're growing up here, you would have had Music Plus. Yeah. We didn't have Music Plus. They had some good shows. I saw yeah. some good punk and ska and stuff on there, too. There was a woman called Anne-Marie Wittenshaw, who was a great, a great uh, host. And uh, the two of us would overlap on interviews all the time. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, well, while we're on Much Music, I did want to ask a couple things. One being, what do you think about the weird shift that happened with Much Music and MTV where they just started playing reality TV and, and music videos fell off the face of the earth? They did, but you know what? That's really the audience's fault because the audience just decided for a while they wanted to watch other people gossip about each other, and that's that's the gig. Well, and you could see the music videos on YouTube. That must have been part of it too, right? There was another well, music, source. Well, music videos didn't even happen until the mid-2000s. Like, YouTube didn't start till 04, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't really take off till 05. And... Um, I think what happened was the, well, like when I worked for much music, it was a family run. It was owned by a company chum, but it was a family run business. I could go upstairs and see the owner of the company and I would often go visit and we'd talk about business or whatever. And, and then they all got sold off to these big companies. And then these big companies don't, don't really have owners. They have shareholders and it's mm -hmm. a very different kind of thing. And so I think the culture was gone. And I think at much music at the time, there was a real mentality of where we were the, the defenders of the faith. Like it was important to us to share music um, to people, but not just share music. It was important to us to create a space where people could feel welcome and included. That was really important to us. If you watch much music, there was nobody on TV making you feel badly about who you were. That's very true. And most TV doesn't do it. Oh, and the VJs were diverse as well. They were super diverse, but diverse Master ideas. Master T. And yeah, but, but just diverse ideas, diverse music. But everybody was welcome. 
mm-hmm. you know, that everybody was welcome. We were doing stories about trans kids in, you know, the late 90s, early Wait, 2000s, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and because it was important for everybody to know, you're safe here. And what happened with the onslaught of, of, of reality television and where people went, even though there was more um, visibility for some, for some groups, uh, it was still very judgmental, very closed off. It wasn't as inclusive a place. It was more gnarly, more nasty. And um, much wasn't really like that at the time. It was a really nice little window. We had a we had a hell of a run. I feel like we, we were I feel like we were on the golden age of television. You know that the the the, the VJ crew before us into ours. We we just had this really sweet little run where we were around some really lovely bands and really lovely family oriented feels. Um, my brothers and I used to piss ourselves laughing when Weird Al would come and turn it into Al music, and he would oh, murder the VJ with amazing. like cyanide or something. It was amazing, Al. I just randomly was walking down the street, speaking of what we were talking about earlier, and I bumped into Al on the street, and we talked about those little days. Just he's like, it was amazing how much we just let him come up. And he would do those faux interviews where he would uh, splice himself into like an existing interview. And those were genius. He's incredible. uh, Weird Al Yankovic was amazing. The one with Paul McCartney was probably my favorite one ever. Just, uh, uh, Paul, would you like to uh, come bowling? We're going bowling after the show. And then he cuts to Paul being like, that would just be like amazing. He's like, "Uh, it's just bowling. Al got it, man. Al got (laughs) it. But that's the thing. Much was super free. It was, you were able to do things like that uh, back then. It was a really special time. And now it's gone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suspect. I mean, it still exists. I know that they they do play some videos, but they cut it it's down. It's a shell again. of what it once was, though. It's a know? different thing, right? It's yeah. a different thing. And the audience doesn't go there. I actually think there's room for something like that again, which is something that we're kind of working on now. Oh, nice. Um, but it's, Can't it's, say it's too much, I assume. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. In fact, the thing I'm trying to pull off, I'm trying to pull it off in the next few months, which will be pretty insane if we can do it. Um, and it will upset some people. But it will uh, it will embolden others, and I'm excited about okay. it. I can't Keep tell your you eyes about and it. Ears yeah. Oh, you'll know. Follow me on Instagram because that's where it's going to launch, and it's going to be really intense. Well, I was going to say, obviously, follow him if you're not already. But uh, speaking of your radio start, you do still have a show on CBC, so check yeah, that I out. Still do on CBC Music Sunday nights at eight o'clock. The Strombo show. The Strombo show. Which I thought was weird. I noted to my dad that uh, whenever you you abbreviate to Strombo, you take out that first U. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I, guess, even, I didn't even name myself Strombo. A bunch of people just started calling me Strombo. And then when I was uh, writing it down, I looked at it and it went, ah, oh, it looks better with just the O. Because other people, if you wrote it the other way, people are going to say Strumbo. Strumbo, yeah, 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 yeah for sure. You don't yeah. need to be called Strumbo. That no. sounds a little... And a nickname is a nickname. You can always mess with it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, well, first off, I got to say, you are, uh, I wanted to let you know that you're in my top three hosts that I truly admire and that really inspire me to try to be the best host that I can uh, with your company being Conan O'Brien and Dick Cavett. Right, Those are probably my, my well, top I mean, three. I don't know if I believe, but thank you. Well, here's why. Because in my opinion, the three of you uh, are just excel at making people feel comfortable. And that's something that I think I have somewhat of a knack for. And, and it's just something I've always respected, getting people to open up and really feel like they're talking to a friend, you know? So uh, thank you. Um, to, to follow up, though, I wanted to know what what hosts were your biggest inspirations and... Uh, uh, when I was growing up, I was watching a guy called Dave Allen. Dave Allen used to use an Irish guy who did a British show, uh, an English show, and uh, was, I think it was called Dave Allen at Large. BBC, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, I was I was very young, and I I didn't, he used to basically go on and do really intense religious commentary, uh, and he'd call out the church. And you know, as a young young kid, even when I was really young, uh, I, I recognized that rebellion was where I was going to go. I didn't even have a word for it. I can relate to that. But I knew that was the, the thing, yeah. right? And you can relate. So I put my parents through a bunch of shit. Yeah, my mom. I, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just knew I was going to rebel. So Dave Allen was a big part. When I was a real young kid, it was Kermit the Frog watching the Muppet Show. 
He, hey, we got Gonzo over the, here. There you know, That's so my spirit animal. He, he hosted the wildest show, right? He hosted the wildest show, you know, the Muppet Show, and all the uh, madness behind the scenes. So I loved Kermit the Frog. That was when I was really young. Definitely, I was going to say not the answer I was expecting. Yeah, well, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, but really my biggest influences in terms of the, the, what I do were Chuck D, okay. uh, George Carlin, George Carlin, Joe Strummer, and Patti Smith. So, th- so it wasn't really TV hosting, because I actually, to be honest with you, Never thought it was going to be on television. I never planned on being on television. I never wanted to be on television. I never thought about being on television. You just thought the radio thing was... Even that I didn't think I was going to be. I thought I was going to be an artist, an architect, a graphic designer, something like that. Visual art was my wheelhouse. Yeah, but you I were got... telling us you used to draw comics. And yeah, stuff. and then I got booted out of uh, art classes. The art teacher wouldn't let me take the classes anymore. And in order... Uh, I don't have any idea how the education system works now in Ontario in terms of credits. But back then I needed an arts credit to graduate. Oh. And the only two options we had were visual art and drama. And drama was the last class I wanted to take. Really, eh? Oh, I had no interest in it at all. Interesting. Because to me, you're, you're like a somewhat of a performer, entertainer. No, never no, was, eh? no, never was, man. I Honestly, I was so caught up in music. That was music and motorcycles from my whole you know life. That's all I really cared about. Uh, so I thought I could get a job as an overnight radio DJ, but drama never. The idea of being on stage was death to me. Really? Zero interest in it. Yeah. And the scripted part of it too, probably? You seem like someone who goes off script and likes to be yeah, kind I of don't really want organic. To be, yeah, I don't want to yeah. be. Yeah, scripts are like, I'll, I like scripts when I'm acting because I think it's fun to work with other people's art and help them see their vision through. Fair enough, yeah. But uh, there are some radio stations where the, there's a person who writes the script that the DJ is going to say. Oh, God. And it happens all over the place. And I, I, I walked into a studio once and saw that, and I remember thinking, well, that's super foreign to me. You mean, don't you know what you're going to say? It's like, not- it's good to have notes and write this, even to write your own script. But the fact that somebody else was handing you something to say yeah. just seemed like... Uh, it just didn't seem to, it didn't vibe with me. It seems right? almost like an antithesis to what you're doing, right? I want about, yeah, because I grew up listening to radio in the 70s and 80s, right, where you uh, were expected to have uh, something to say, and the something you said, the something to say, had to be meaningful, or it had to be absolutely mental, <laughs> and that worked too, right? If you were going to be way over the line, way dangerous or whatever, cool, but be you. And I, what I, I never liked and I never respected was the robot radio. Um, That's like, and, yeah, we're back. Yeah. Like that kind of shit. Yeah, these, yeah if you're going to be that person, then just be out of your mind. Yeah. I can respect <laughs> that. But I never, yeah, I didn't like that. WNBC, that stuff yeah. that uh, pig face. Show it up after the break. To. That kind of shit. It just yeah. was my thing. It's like, what, what are you about? Why are you on the radio? You sound like people. Well, you're, the, in theory, radio and television are the public airwaves. In theory, we license them to companies. Now that's only partly true because the CRTC is mostly super weak in this country and they really work on behalf of the broadcasters, but really they're supposed to work on behalf of us. And so if you are given a microphone, access to a transmitter, well, you better be about something. I'm not saying it's all serious all the time. It doesn't even have to be serious, but you got to connect with people. Yeah. And when it became just bullshit commercial broadcasting, good for them. Go make your paper, get your bags. But for me, it was just like, well, oh, that's not interesting. Like, it's again, go do your thing, but it's not interesting to me at all. So I kind of went down a different path. Well, you've always been someone that strikes me as being very genuine. So that makes a lot of sense that that wouldn't appeal to you. For better or for worse, you know, it's helped my career and then it's not helped my career. But I don't really care because my career is not as interesting to me as my life is. Like, do I feel like, do I like where I'm going? Cool. 
if it works or it doesn't work in a career sense, who cares? Yeah, there's always the next step after that. Most career-based stuff is so based on ego anyway, and I don't want to subscribe to that kind of thing. You know, I want to be in a different world. Well, if you were super, you know, one of those types of people that we're sort of describing, you wouldn't be here right now. That's for fucking sure. That's true. We got like 75 subscribers. No, that's okay, man. 75. 75 people who are paying attention to you. That's important. No, no, yeah. yeah, I'm not trying to. Hey, I I appreciate you guys, but you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. it's easy to get discouraged um, with how saturated the, the market is for this kind of thing. How many podcasts are there? How many YouTube? It's the reason videos? why I haven't done a podcast. There's a reason why I haven't done one. Um, yeah. Even when uh, we started kicking around early podcasts before podcasts had even taken off. And I just thought, no, nah, you know what? I don't really. Now we're, we have three that are ready to go, but they're very different. And I was waiting for the right kind of well, thing. Well, you also have a radio show. So the your need show. for a podcast is somewhat diminished. Yeah, I had a TV show. I do live streams. Like I have a different kind of experience for sure. But um Sat, the thing about the podcast, though, which I think is interesting, it doesn't matter how many there are out there. Just do the thing for you, and who cares who listens? And that's where the real joy for me for this has been coming from, besides being able to spend more time with my dad. and, which and really, is super cool. It's been yeah. an amazing experience for us to be able to just be on the same page and, and creating something together. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just being able to do my own thing and kind of call the shots and, and bring on whoever I want. I don't care if it's George Rumbleopolis or the janitor. You know, yeah, if you've yeah. got – everyone has a fucking story. Everyone's yeah. got something you can learn and share and, you know. 100%. Um. So your show, probably a lot of people you know you from The Hour, and yep. from uh, which later switched names to George Strombolopoulos Tonight. Yeah. So first of all, Wicked Show. I, I used to watch this show all the time when I was a security guard, which a job I didn't really care for. Excellent. And that was a nice sort of beacon in the middle of the night where I'd be like, <laughs> all right, sweet. Um, but one thing I found interesting that I wanted to ask you about was when they reduced the time from an hour to a half hour, yeah. what was that transition like when you'd gotten used to having an hour with your guest? Was so that's it- just a lot easier. Oh, really? There's a lot. It's harder in one respect because you have to fit more stuff into a shorter time. Well, See, less time to build a rapport is what I was. Well, yeah. Oh, well, with the interviews, it was actually okay because we would just cut an interview out. So instead of doing two or three a show, we would do one, right? One and a half. So we gave we actually gave more time to one guest. But the we the CBC was you know CBC is always going through something and they were you know local news and news was going to extend and all this other stuff. Then they asked me to fill in at seven o'clock because they didn't have a show mm. for seven. And then I'm like, but I want eleven. And so it was it was always a strange kind of thing, uh, certainly in the later years uh, at CBC. But dropping to a half an hour was you know for me it was just did I did I like going to work with my friends and making the show having a meaningful conversation and and and, and moving on. I liked that. It was different when the show was called The Hour. And oh, suddenly we were a half an hour show and somebody at CBC said, let's just keep the name the hour. And I remember saying, can't oh, do that. Good Lord. And can't the half that. an hour doesn't sound half an hour doesn't sound as good yet, <laughs> for sure. But there was so much stuff going on behind the scenes there anyway, that it's always, you know, CBC, it's always in a funding crisis of some sort. Uh, and that'll always, yeah, and yeah. it'll always affect the programming. Yeah, well, it's sad, but hopefully yeah. uh, you, know, it's like, you guys pull through. You know, there's still a lot of good stuff coming out of the CBC. Look, I've had my ups and downs of CBC over the years. Uh, I have lots of great things to say about them and lots of things that aren't that great that I won't say. But what's I, what I do recognize is that so much of what it does is so fundamentally important. And we have a lot of good media in this country, and partly the re- part of the reason why it's really good is because CBC News keeps it honest in a lot of ways. Um, corporate media is a dangerous thing, unchecked. Uh, I think that our corporate media in America and Canada isn't what it is in the U.S. It's not as bad, but it's yeah. going to get there because that's how this – we just go down that road anyway. Yeah. Um, the corruption's going to C- get here. Yeah, eventually. but CBC is important, man. This, I, I, I've always said this, that I think when, when it's doing it right, it's the intellectual railroad and emotional railroad of this country. Mm-hmm. We're the only – or they were the only C- network that was uh, you know, coast to coast to coast and was in – 
multiple languages and it was just, it's a big thing and it's important. Um, I think that, I think that if the CBC, and look, and I'm not a shill for the CBC because I, you know, I mean, I have a radio show with them, but I've always been my own person. And for sure, yeah. If you lose the CBC, you lose a lot. You lose a lot more than people think you lose. Um, but our country is becoming kind of boring in its partisanship and uh, unhelpful in its partisanship. And mm -hmm. so I think CBC's got a big road ahead of them, but they do really important things and they make Canadian shows. They employ Canadian people. Well, as a and comedian, I know they just uh, put out a new show from these comedians. I think they're all out of Toronto, but it's called Tall Boys. I've seen the billboards. Have I've seen, seen a couple yet? clips yeah. on Instagram. It seems pretty funny, there but it's go. just nice that they're helping, you know, Canadian yeah, yeah. comics get out there like for that. Sure. Um, I was going to say in relation to the show, which was on for nine years. Ten. Uh, oh, I thought it was nine. Ten years. Okay. Yeah. I did my research wrong, apparently. No, no. Ten years. Isn't that crazy? Or I'm just suck it, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was the best interview, or the best interview, that's kind of hard to, to say, but what were some of the, the favorite interviews, and what did you learn from those interviews, and, you know, just, just what was the most positive kind of interview that you had? I, you know, I think I interviewed a woman called June Callwood, who was a social activist in uh, Toronto, and she's kind of a legend in the game. And she, My dad was nodding his head, yeah. Yeah, when she was uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer, um, she wanted to do one interview before she passed. And so oh. she had reached out and said, "Hey, could you could you guys do the interview?" And I remember thinking, I, "I don't like you have lots of friends who are journalists. Maybe they should." And she said, "No, no, you do it." What an honor, honestly. Yeah, I, I was. Mean, I, I felt tragic, it for sure. But... I felt it for sure. What her reasoning was, it was as it was related to me, was that when the interview went dark, I wouldn't be afraid of it because I didn't know her. And That's sometimes, a huge compliment then too. Well, I, I I took it as such, and thank you. Um, but it was also a, it was more of a big responsibility to mm -hmm. me do this right so we did that interview and that interview was kind of a big a big moment for us on the show in terms of the more uh, celebrity stuff i think getting an hour with tom cruise was a big moment wow, and you yeah. know it was really hard for us to book big name canadian artists because canadian artists weren't that helpful and they weren't supportive in the early days for us uh and that's very typical for it was certainly back then for canada but tom cruise came on and then other people told me other guests we would book later said tom told us to do the show and that's and mm. so tom was a was a big part of uh, of how we kind of turned a corner maybe we'll uh, get some george told us to do the shows let's see how it goes here, but let's um, see how it goes yeah <laughs> i'm kidding it's great not get ahead of myself yeah. here but um no tom tom cruise is one of those hugely prolific people that probably doesn't even feel real He's when you're talking to him at first but biggest star of our time man yeah, well, he grew yeah. up around here too. Yeah, he that's went right. To Robert yeah. Hopkins for elementary. I that's believe. right. We talked about that. We talked about being in Ottawa for him, um, and how different his life would have been had he stayed. And he had a different last name, didn't he? Uh, he might have. Yeah, I think it, his name was Maypolder Was his last yeah, name? Yeah, it was uh, something about his father. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure the reasoning. I just yeah. know that he had a. Uh, I think it was a cousin, and I don't remember the first name. But he had a small bit role on on the show Lost. Yeah, and I remember seeing Maypolder and figuring it out at some point. That's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Tom's a great guy. I liked him a lot. Um, okay, I'm going to do this because I was trying to keep it to, to very generic questions, but you told me on the way here, do ask whatever. Yeah. So uh, upon leaving the hour and then ultimately George Trombolopoulos tonight, yeah. you went to Hockey Canada. Hockey Night Canada, that's right. So I just kind of wanted to know what you thought about the whole Don Cherry situation and also what it was like working with him. But if you don't want to comment on that, I totally understand. I am surprised this was the thing that brought the end that's of Don Cherry. That's what I've been Cherry. saying, Don right? Cherry has said far more controversial things uh, on the show. I think there's two things that have happened. Uh, again, I don't. I know a lot of the people involved, um, but Don is Don, and Don represents an enormous part of this country. There are a lot of people that agree with Don, and for a long time, those people were in charge. Those people aren't in charge anymore, and 
You can see it. Look, look, look at the way the conservative party's uh, ad campaigns are generally and how Andrew Scheer ran the last campaign. Mm-hmm. He was running on a different version of Canada. And that Canada is not there anymore, but they're trying to bring it back. Yeah, there's some people who want to revert to that. Peter yeah. McKay just put out his big post about how uh, pride parades are important and whether or not he's the leader, he'll be there at the next one. That's a big shift That's because huge. he recognizes uh, as much as the there's a, a, a part of Canada that is that OG, old school Canada, not OG, because OG is about like changing things. Yeah. But the old school <laughs> Canada, um, Peter McKay and whoever else, the, he sees there needs to be a different path. So, so what I'm saying is times are different. And here's something else that's fundamentally different. The person that's in charge of Rogers now, who, who laid the hammer down to Don, uh, as I knew him, I'm not close with him by any means. I didn't really work with him. Um, he wasn't there when I was there. Like he wasn't in charge. He was a guy called Bart. Bart at his core is a decent, decent person. And he, I'm sure when Don Cherry said that thing on the show, I don't know, I wasn't there. It's not that he didn't like the controversy. I think he just would have thought, that's just not who we are mm. as a people. Don has always been really nice to me. Don and I do not see eye to eye on most things about this country. And we certainly do not see eye to eye on most things about hockey. And Don and I would scrap it out at, at Hockey Night Canada, always respectfully. I respect what he, I respect my elders. Right. In some respects. Um, and I've known Don since I was 21 years old. So I've known Don a wow. long time. Yeah. Uh, long before I was on television. I knew Don Cherry. And How did Don, you meet him then? I met him when I was working uh, behind the scenes as a technical operator at a radio station. And he oh, would wow. come in on Saturdays with Brian Williams to record that Grapevine, Grapevine show, Grapevine, whatever Grape, it was called. Grapevine, yeah. Yeah. I and there was, called. yeah, the radio version. And okay. Don and, and, uh, and Rose used to come in. Uh, you know, I knew, I, I knew them. So I've, I've known him since I was a kid, a young person, right? Um, and it does me no good to sit here. But but I've said, like, I've disagreed with Don. And we've talked about it on the air. Like, uh, but who yeah. cares? We, we see things differently. Um, I was surprised that this was the thing, though. I was like, okay, yes. What he said, I absolutely disagree with. Mm-hmm. So do a lot of people. But this was the one. But he had said, uh, I heard on the radio uh, lots of things about, you know, uh, women in hockey and many other controversial things that were equally or at least similarly. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. All he did was represent an enormous part of the hockey culture. And hockey people want to go out there and go, that's not who we are. Bullshit. Yeah, they're just getting called out now. Bullshit. It's been an enormous part of your culture. An enormous part of your culture. But what happens is we, not not the only part of the culture. Of course. Tons of progressive views and tons of progressive movements in hockey. But. But it was undeniably a part of it. Yeah. Huge part of it. Mm -hmm. A huge part of it. But not just Don. Like, I'm talking about the people who ran the networks. I'm talking about the producers. Like, that's sports culture. That's hockey culture. Do you think you're really getting journalism in sports? Like, really? (laughs) You're getting a couple of people who are standouts. But anybody who works for a big company, generally, like, I saw it with my own eyes, man. You're basically, they would always say we're partners with the leagues. What does that mean? Sounds sketchy. It just means that you're doing their bidding. Yeah. And they'll, you know, like... Again, but that but here's the thing, man. That's what most of the audience wants. Most of the audience wants just make it straightforward and let me get mad at you. That's what the audience wants. They want to get mad at you for your position on I mean, look, as a Montreal Canadiens fan, the team sucks and has sucked for a long time. What uh, the Leafs? The Habs. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm a Habs fan. Oh, okay. no, I thought you were just saying the Leafs suck. No, but, but the, oh, the Leafs have sucked absolutely yeah. for a long time. The Senators are a terrible hockey team. Yeah. And have been for a long time. 
uh, with we all each one of our teams has a flash. Yeah, like when we yeah. went uh, to the finals against what Calgary yeah, or Anaheim. Or Anaheim. Or like I, I remember Anaheim. I was actually I was here watching a game long before I worked at Hockey Night, and so in our part of the country, our teams stink, and we our whole like our whole experience with hockey is to be disappointed. That's our whole experience. Yeah. Once you get past eleven. Right, where the oh my god, it's my favorite player. Once you get past that, it's just disappointment. Now I love that because it's the gig. That's I love hockey. I'm down. I'm down for the disappointment. This is what it's like. <laughs> but that just translates on television. That translates on everything, right? So it's not. We don't really have the the kind of hockey culture that I think people think we do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I say that as a guy who's an enormous fan, but as a guy who worked and hosted Hockey Night in Canada. Not that many people hosted Hockey Night. I was in there. I saw the culture. Um, so the Don Trey thing, it's like, uh, again, I have no, I mean, I don't know the conversations between him and Barton or whomever he spoke to, but I just do know this is that Don represented himself. Mm-hmm. What, he, it, he was doing what he had always basically always done. done. Yeah. I, I think he thinks that people misunderstood what he meant, but like, regardless of that, he wasn't going to apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe that's where he messed up, but maybe it was time for him to go just because he's getting old. I don't and, know. I don't know. You know how I don't mind old guys on TV, though. Old ladies on TV. I'm down. Bring it on. Old uh, men, old women, bring them on. I think we should have old people on. I mean, what's old, right? It's, no, no. Time is a sure. construct, right? Time time is a construct. We don't even know. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that to me, uh, uh, it's, no, I mean. I think because there were certain people that were arguing that what he had said might have been because he was getting up there and getting more senile moments where he's just oh, like, I would, who I gives would a never. Shit, I know? don't know that. I don't know if, like, I, uh, Don's pretty sharp. Okay. But, but I will say this. I know a lot of young people who wear MAGA hats. And I know a lot, of course. I guess you go to the States a lot more. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. and I know a lot of uh, people in their 70s and 80s who are mortified by racism. I think it's more about a mindset that exists. Uh, And Canada is a relatively young country, and hockey has been controlled by the same four people uh, in the last 30, since the advent of sports television. The same four people have essentially controlled TSN, Sportsnet, and really? Hockey Night Canada. Just four? Pretty much. Wow. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, if, if So they have dictated what hockey culture is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not I'm not mad at it. I don't care. Because I, I, I don't expect TV uh, or sports coverage to reflect my values. But this is growing up listening to punk rock. I have never expected television to reflect my values. And I don't get Fair. mad when it doesn't reflect my values. I don't, I mean, I don't, I didn't grow up believing in institutions. I don't yeah. believe in any of it. I don't believe in the government. Like, I mean, I believe that it exists, but I don't believe that it's on our side. I never yeah. did. I don't believe that networks are on our side. Well, we were talking about this on the drive over, just yeah. trusting Google and, and any large corporation. They're not on our side. And we have to work for them sometimes and get your bags, get whatever you need to get out of it. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not outraged when people say things on television because, because what did you expect? Yeah. What do you expect? Especially from him. That's what I was kind of saying. It doesn't make what he said right, but... Yeah. uh, But, I mean, like I said, the thing about television and radio is not the internet. And this is the one thing that the internet has working in its favor, but ultimately against it, is that there is no no institutional um, expectation. So when the market decides you're out of step, the market decides you're out of step. That's the same market that had you in step for a long time or you were in vogue. Mm-hmm. And once they decide you're not, you're not. It's not promised to you forever. You so, know, and that's the game. Yeah, if you're going to slippery gonna, situation, you never yeah. know. Yeah. But you but, but but no one's entitled to this forever. That's true. Right? I think you have like I think you have to what are your core values and what do you want to represent? Don when we used to you know, I remember once Don 
something happened. He came into the control room or he came into the studio when I was on and he was, he was mad. And I could see it's like, oh shit, this is something's going to go on. So I walked up to him, but everybody like, and I will say this, a lot of people at Hockey Night in Canada didn't, they didn't want to cross paths with Don. Intimidated, obviously. Of course, because yeah. they were intimidated by him, right? And, and um, His persona was very uh, bombastic. Yeah. And, yeah. and I saw it like firsthand, even though people like, I, when I took that job, I did a lot of watching. Right, and you could just read the room a little bit. But when Don would come up, because I've known Don so long, I'd go right up to him and I'd be like, "Whoa, hold on, hold on." He's like, "Listen, I've been on the air for thirty years," and I'd be like, "I've been on the air for twenty-five. And then right, as soon as I would say that, he'd laugh, right? And then I'd be like, "What's the issue? What are we dealing with here?" And we would figure it out. And so again, I'm not—I disagree with a lot of what he says. I disagree with almost all of his positions when he talks politics. But I, I could communicate with Don. And that's what's missing from the world, essentially, when people have different viewpoints and they can't at least not disagree, agree to disagree, but have a respectful conversation from a disagreeing vantage point. Yeah, the, the, here's the challenge. I agree with you, but here's the ch- I, agree, I agree with you sort of. Here's the challenge is that when you have two white guys, like I'm a relatively white guy and that I'm an ethnic and Don's white. So Don's white and I'm ethnic. And, you know, you heard this a lot when Joe Biden in the campaign talked about how he could work with both sides. But really what that meant was when he compromises, do you think Joe Biden ever compromised any of his rights? Of course not. He compromised the rights of young African-Americans. Mm-hmm. He compromised the, the the rights of women. So it's easy for Don and I to find common ground. We Actually, we didn't find common ground in terms of what we believed in, but we knew how to communicate with each other because Don is actually is, is a good guy. Don's a good guy. Uh, at least he has been. Me, me knowing him. Um, but it's important. I, I recognize that I would never in a million years have just been like, oh, that's okay. I would go into the coach's corner office and say, yo, Don, come on. Mm-hmm. And I would see other people just kind of be like, uh uh-huh. And I was like, uh. but <laughs> Don't you know poke what? The bear, yeah. But it comes because I'm from CBC. I came from CBC, but we had fucking standards. And I know people will go, oh, CBC. Like, stop it. I've been on the air for 14 years at CBC. I can remember once being asked to reshoot something because of what I said on the air. Wow. Once. What was that, if I can ask? I said there was no Santa Claus. <laughs> of all true. the things. I can understand, actually. Producer came in and said, look. We're going to get so many fucking emails. Yeah, you can do it, <laughs> but please not. Because let the parents tell the kids there's no Santa Claus. We don't, and I, and it was, and I just kind of looked at kids them. kids and parents would have hated yeah, you. Yeah, and I looked at them and I went, yeah, that's a really good point. I'm not going to be the one that screws you, ruins your dream. Myths are important. Mythology is interesting. So I redid that. Like that's, I would say stuff that I know the bosses don't like. I know, I, know, I, I would say stuff that the prime minister didn't like, who was liberal, who was conservative, because that's the only two this country ever gives a shot to. Yeah. Right? And, you know, we, we, we. Very true. Canadians are very smug. And they, I voted NDP this year, man. Oh, there you go. Canadians are very smug, man. They're, they're always generally like, well, America's only a two party system. We're like, really? What do we have here? Yeah. You know, d- don't fool ourselves. Um, but I, I learned at CBC that you have a responsibility to A, do the work, journalism, tell the truth, um, entertain the audience, but entertain isn't the trump card. It's not about entertainment by itself. Anybody can entertain by doing really crazy shit. There's a responsibility. There's a responsibility to talk to the audience, to connect with them. That was always very important to me. So when I got to hockey, I was like, whoa, this is a completely different culture. You know, I knew it was going to be different. I didn't know it was going to be different in the ways it was. I had my suspicions. 
I don't have any, you know, I'm not going to tell you the, the whole story because that's for another day. Sure, sure. But, but I, but this is the, this is who the country is in a lot of ways. And you had to learn how to talk to those people, I guess. I chose not to. Oh. <laughs> well, I know. I, I actually know. You know what's funny is actually my boss, uh, who ended up, we, we didn't get along at the end. Um, but the guy who was in charge said to me that when I was the host, I, I remember going out for lunch with him. And he said, the ratings have gone up with women and people under 30 when I was the host. Hey, hey. But the problem is. <laughs> a little ego boost. Come on. But the problem is they were listening to a lot of a certain generation who didn't like my skinny pants. And would hurl homophobic slurs at me oh, on, the, on. on the street. Oh, yeah, man. That's oh, yeah, yeah. I know, like, the real hockey culture because <laughs> I met them. I met them. And it's like, oh, that's a whole other. It never bothered me because I've slayed much bigger dragons than that in my life. You know, that's the easy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to. I, I want to be liked, but I don't need to be liked. And I think that's an important con- distinction. Um, and I had a great time at the hockey thing, and it taught me a lot. And it actually set me up to be where I am now, which is where I really, like, where I am in my career. And this is um, where I run my own company and I have deals with, you know, places bigger than hockey, if you can imagine in terms of like the the companies. But I I, I needed to go through that experience to learn it. I had, I had it in an employee's mentality, right, my whole career because I'd worked for networks. Yeah. Once that ended, I started my own company with my friends. I was like, oh, I have to learn this shit now. And it was really nice to be, a, a, you know, 30 years into your career and freed from those shackles, kind of. Freed, but also realizing, oh my God, there's so much I don't know. I gotta learn this. It's great, though. Yeah, I love it. I Keeps love you from it. getting bored, at least, yeah. Never get bored. Never get Dude. bored in this business. Never. Um, well, that's actually a perfect segue into another thing that you're doing right now, which is the House of Strombo, yeah. which is, first of all, super radical. Check it out if you haven't seen it. That's on YouTube, too. It is on YouTube, um, that's right. So that's where you have bands come and play in your living room. Yeah. So it's, what's it's, that been like? I mean, I feel like that question kind of is right crazy. there. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's a... I'll get up in the morning, I'll go downstairs and I'll sweep the, the, the walkway to my house, like, you know, your your path from the front your front door. And then Scott Wildland was standing there. He was like, Hey man, can I use your bathroom? I'm like, Yeah, totally. And I just let him in. Depends and what it's he's doing in there. Super I guess, weird, but... right? I'm like, Oh, this is weird for me. Or, you know, I, I was there one day and then the, an Uber pulls up and out comes James Hetfield from Metallica or <laughs> John Prine comes and plays a concert in my living room and Gordon Lightfoot comes over to watch. Gordon oh Lightfoot came, You know, we just went through the passing uh, of a really great person in Neil Peart. And, oh, yeah. You know, Neil. Rest in it. peace, yeah. yeah absolutely. Amazing Neil, lyricist, too. Amazing. Neil was in the house, Rush were in the house. The Cult were in the house. The Kills were in the house. Grandmaster Flash, Lee Scratch Jesus. Perry, Paul Oakenfold in the house. Like, it doesn't even sound real. It doesn't even sound real. Good you know, Lord. Tool, Maynard was in the house. It's like a jam session in heaven or something. It's nuts, you know? man. It's, and I'm very grateful for it. I really am grateful for it. Um, man, I got to stop by your house sometime. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's pretty fun. We have four in the works for the next three months, I think, are going to happen. Nice. All punk-based for the most and part. And you're in Toronto, right? I will be for this, yeah. I will be for this. And it's... Because oh, I'll come out, man. <laughs> come whenever you want. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. It's fun. I, I was walking down the street. Um, I, so I used to work at this radio station in Toronto called The Edge. And we used to have a, a storefront studio at 204 Yonge Street. And then 228. I only know that because we kept saying live from 228 Yonge. It's burnt in there, it's yeah. Totally. So we did the show from there, but we had open doors. So people would come in, bands would come in, and kids would come in and hang out with us. Uh, especially ones who didn't want to go home after school people who are interested in the arts and they would just come hang around the DJs and mm. we would do interviews and we'd have our show. Um, we watched people grow up. We watched, you know, people would come in when they were teenagers and watch them grow up and have kids of their own and come hang That's out. Awesome. With them. It was really lovely, really lovely. Uh, it was community, right? And then I went to Much Music and Much Music a bit bigger and a little bit more national, but still community. 
you know, we'd do a show with you two and we'd shut down the street and people would go, wow, Smashing Pumpkins, Foo Fighters, Lauren Hill would play on the street. I remember Those the day, so awesome. dude, I remember the day I was standing there, Darby Wheeler and I, who I worked with for many years, he went on to make Hip Hop Evolution, that Netflix series. I'm watching that right now. And, and that's so, uh, hosted Dar- by Shad, right? Yeah, Shad. So yeah. the producers that Darby and Rodrigo both worked on my talk show. And we and I met Rodrigo when I interviewed him for my TV show when I was on Watch Music. Crazy. So yeah, it's a small little, it's a small little gang. But I remember Darby and I were standing there, and we had the side stage on a Saturday, not even the big stage. The side stage, this relatively new artist was um, going to rehearse a song, and uh, like 10, 15 people got up in their street clothes, and they looked like they were in a choir, but they weren't dressed. And it looked like the choir in the formation they took, right? And then this artist stands up, and all of a sudden, and this is like Saturday afternoon, you know, for the Much Music VJs, or Much Music Video Awards, and all we hear is this boom, boom, Jesus. Walks. And it was the first time any of us heard Jesus Walks from Kanye. And Kanye's sound checking it up there. And we were just stunned by this qual- the quality of this song. And, and But I remember people walking down the street and stopping. Well, what is this? One year, it was an afternoon, same thing, Saturday afternoon. Lenny Kravitz is playing American Woman on stage. He's rehearsing, just sound checking. Up walks the guess who? plugging their guitars, boom, bass, boom, boom, and they start figuring it out. And so Lenny and the guess who together are working out American Woman and people walking down Queen Street in Toronto stopping and looking. That community thing is a big part is of Is there a video of that? Because that'd be amazing. I'm sure there is. Yeah, Jesus. there must be. Yeah, there must be. It was just sound check. But I remember just standing there in the parking lot. There was only a couple of us looking at this thinking, well, this is amazing. Yeah, we're seeing something <laughs> this here. This crazy. Damn. So I was in LA and somebody walked up to me on the street, just a random person said, I just watched your interview that I did with, with Stone Temple Pilots in a parking lot 15 years ago. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot about that concert. And But audience was on the street watching. And so community has always been the most important thing to me in this game. Sharing music, but it's only it only matters if someone else gets to hear it, right? So I was walking down Young Street a few years ago, past where the edge used to be. It's boarded up. It doesn't exist as a station. A station exists, but they moved it. So it's not it's not that anymore. It's not there, yeah. And I make a right-hand turn onto Queen Street. And it's the same neighborhood I've been walking in most of my life. I've been living in the same spot for decades. I, I live in a house now which is about 100 yards from places I used to get into fistfights in when I was 14, going to all-ages clubs. Like it's, it's so rad. Yeah, it's wow. So it's like, it's my hood, right? And I'm walking down this, well, it's not my hood. It is a hood that I'm grateful to be a part of. And I'm walking down the street, so I pass the edge, and it's closed, and I pass by Much Music, and they had bordered up the windows as well, because they have a new show in there, uh, which I think is called The Social, but, and I'm not even, I'm not mad, it's not even about that show, I'm not mad at that show, because the game has changed. That's on CTV, I think, or something. Is it? Yeah, I'm not even I sure, yeah. But it's, a, but, it's a, but it's an important show, it's an important conversation show, but they do it in the place where the Much Music environment used to be. And I just thought, man, this was such an important place. People, kids would come from all over the country to stand at that corner of Queen yeah. and John, or right you up against the glass right with their posters the glass. and shit. I remember shit. how yeah. many times I'd be walking, I'd ride my motorcycle down Queen Street, stop, I'd see some kids, they'd freak out and go, oh my God, do you know Ray Campanelli? I'd go in and I'd say, yo, Rick, there's a, we used to call him Champ. Yo, Champ, there's a couple kids outside who'd love to meet you. Some fanboys. Every time, every time Rick was like, absolutely. He I'm seems like, like a really nice guy. Rick is a god. I believe that the greatest <laughs> person the hardest job in, in, in the most impressive job in, in, in Canadian television ever was Master T. Uh, hosting the hip hop shows and much music was a very challenging job because the hip hop community was growing in Toronto. It was, a, it was, it was it's a, it's like punk, like punk and hip hop are very similar in this respect. It's an, it's a, it's a lot of fans. If it doesn't break through are they question you, 
They question your motives. It's an mm. important job. I think Master T is the greatest that ever did, ever, ever, ever been on much music. Master T. He was awesome, yeah. Awesome. But just for f- helping find uh, like underground artists and giving but them just a spotlight? Like, owning that space if you think about it right there were not a lot of black men on television no not in you a know no and certainly not in i mean you would see ex-athletes in sports but to to you know city tv and moses nimer uh respected our ethnicities respected our our nationalities and tony what master t was incredible so he's like he had the gig but not but and back to rick yeah rick rick is the true canadian idol it is hard to put into words how people felt about Rick when they saw him on the street. People would lose their fucking minds. Girls would lose their minds. The young guys would lose their minds. And he never disappointed. Rick was a leader of leaders. And Ed the Sock and I, and we both had, you know, we were very lucky that we had a, we had a lot of people who, were, who, were, who, who liked what we were doing as well. Ed and I both knew, A, on a human level, because we love Rick, but also on a business level, Rick's the franchise. And Master T is the one who named Rick the franchise. So we did everything we could to big up Rick all the time. Because um, I think Rick's the greatest, to be honest with you. I think that we've never had anybody like him on television. We'll never have anybody like him on television again. Um, you know, the whole Rick the Temp moniker was hilarious because he had been there for so long. Yeah, it was Rick, like a decade or something. Yeah, right? and my last day on Much Music was Rick's last day. Oh. And I had such a respect and still do for Rick Campanelli that when I finished my last hit on Much News... All I was thinking about was that it was Rick's last, Rick's last day. Wow. You know, it, because Rick is the greatest. I, um, Bob and I wrote a, a scripted series that Rick, we want Rick to be in. Because I honestly think that people don't realize when we, like, I, I, I get it, Ron and Don. I get, I get a lot of accolades that, I, that I, I'm grateful for, but, I, but thankful. But honestly, lots of Kevin Newman, amazing. Peter Mansbridge, the king, for sure. We have so many great uh, hosts in this country. Um, Sookie and Lee. Well, she's actually more like, she's like top, awesome too, top, yeah. top drawer. Sukin is so good too. But I'm just talking about like the, the matinee idol thing. Rick, there will never be anybody like the franchise. Well, he was uh, Canada's uh, entertainment tonight guy too, right? He, after much music. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to get Rick. I've never told the story yet. It's an exclusive. Just chill exclusive. I got offered a job at a show once, a big show. Okay. And I remember thinking, looking at the producer saying, I'm not the guy for the show. And they said, you're the guy for the show. It's going to pay me a lot of money. It's going to be a good show. It's going to be a big show. And I love the producers. But I remember saying, I could do this, but you should give this to Rick. Wow. And the guy said to me in the negotiation, I have never (laughs) offered a job to somebody who tried to get somebody else the job. Literally throwing yourself under the bus. Because I said, Rick, Rick, A, I wanted rick to succeed on well, you loved level. him you guys were friends we're friends yeah, i yeah. loved him rick doesn't even know i did this and i was just like <laughs> rick's the guy they went to rick and much fucked him over oh really yeah but rick should, i really wish rick would have had that job and then he ended up going to entertainment tonight had a great career there but there's never been anybody like rick campanelli the franchise ricky young cat the champ we had so many names for him and he was also like super dark and super edgy. There was a part of him that people never got to he see. He always seems very clean cut. Yeah, well, Rick oh. and I in Vegas was a nightmare. Like we we were in trouble. We had troubles for sure. But but um, it, yeah, Rick to me is the greatest, and he still looks the same. I've put yeah, uh, he doesn't age. This doesn't guy. age. No, I've, wow. I've I've had my Instagram for since when Instagram started. I've had a very lovely response from people, and I put pictures up of lots of celebrities that I've worked with or whatever. And get lots of likes, 
the number one photo is Rick and I. Still. Yeah, man. Wow. Rick's the god. Yeah, because you have pictures with like Jamie Foxx and all these like huge Hollywood yeah, icons. People love that stuff, but there you, you know, go. people love Rick. And when whenever Rick and I go on together, occasional we've done occasional live streaming little things, people freak out. And it's because Rick is a god, man. And I yeah, I honestly, I, I sometimes I get emotional thinking about how amazing he That's is. That's amazing, And dude. how nice he was to everybody. And how nice and giving he was to every fan. Like, people should be like Rick. <laughs> be like Rick. Because Rick Campanelli is... human. Yeah, he's a superhuman. Um, and and yeah. you guys are still chill fairly often? Yeah, we, you know, we, we, he's got a family. And so he's we, Toronto? Or? Yeah, uh, yes, Toronto, yeah. yeah. We t- I think he might have suburbs. But we text each other occasionally. Um, I'm just a huge fan of Rick as a person. Um, and I would go out of my way every time and go, Rick's the guy. Rick's the guy. Um, and I think as a broadcaster is in this business, sorry for my stories are going on. Too oh, long. not at all, dude. Please take your time. Your job is to big up other people. You're going to get all the things you want out of this anyway. Like I, I like being, I like having a job like this because I like, you know, sharing music and sharing ideas and interviewing and connecting. Like I like it. I never chase the perks of this business because the perks that I would have wanted are going to come anyway. If you do the right thing, you have to beat the ego out of you. You have to get rid of it. Pay it forward. Got him. Yeah. Well, you're here, man, helping me the fuck out. <laughs> I want you to be good. I Thank want you. To you. Be I know good you said that want... in the car and made me yeah. want to fucking cry. No, but like... I want you to be good, man. And because the fucking country needs it, right? We need people to grow up. This is a difficult business. This is a business that is basically run by three cable companies in this country. It is impossible to get in. All the jobs were like, you know, I came from a radio background. So all the entry level jobs that taught me the things I needed to be taught to get to a place where by the time I got to much music, I'd already had eight years of experience, right? Like they blew the bridge up. They don't, those jobs don't exist anymore. And there's no overnights. There's no, you know, there's n- radio stations aren't community centers in, I'm talking in big cities the way they used to be. Hell, I don't even think they are in small towns because they're mostly taking consultant fed satellite feeds and all yeah. that other stuff. Um, the internet kind of fucked radio a bit. Well, but I would just wonder, you know, if radio fucked itself and the internet just filled the void. That's you know? actually a because, interesting way to look at it. Because I kind of feel like they forgot what this is really about. You're going to make a lot of money anyway if you're a company. You're going to make a lot of money, but you don't got to be a pig about it. Yeah. And it's focus like when, on making quality product. and It's like when you fill out your taxes. Fill out your taxes. You want to get the tax breaks you can get, but don't be a pig. Yeah. You know, don't be a pig. We're in this together. And most of the radio companies... And I'm not naming any of them, but most just, that's just not what they do anymore. And ma- Maybe just... it's because they, they fear they're on the way out and they feel like they're, you know, circling the drain. So they have to paddle against it. But not to be a contrarian, but they're not going anywhere because they control your access to the internet, dude. Those same places are your internet service providers. True. So you want to, you're going to cut the cord for one cable company, but what are you going to cut the cord for? Netflix? You're still paying that cable company. Mm-hmm. So you can get online. And there's just more and more Netflixes popping up, Disney Plus. And, and right. And who owns Disney Plus? Disney. Yeah. <laughs> and what did they buy? ABC before. And now yeah. what do they own? Fox. And Marvel and Marvel. Star Wars. Right. So they own, all, <laughs> they, bought, they own all the shit. So if you think about it now, you're, if you're paying for Disney, and I'm not mad at it because if you want good shit, pay for it. Yeah. If you want good shit, pay for it, right? That, I, I'm okay with that. Stuff costs money. TV costs money. But Disney Plus, Hulu, which has been bought, I think, by NBC or maybe even them. Netflix. Apple Plus TV. Although I suspect somebody's going to buy Netflix Monday. You think so? I think so. What are those guys' exit strategy? Those guys at some point got to get paid. I don't think they're going to go and acquire everybody. I don't think they're an acquisition kind of people. 
Wouldn't it be smartest for someone like Disney Plus to just buy Netflix and Netflix? Apple. Apple. Yeah, yeah actually, yeah. that makes way more sense. But because Disney Plus, uh, maybe, maybe I actually don't know. I don't know who's going to buy it. But I, I, I think Netflix is the only piece in motion that's so big that it changes your game as a company. Um, I like Apple because they're not a cable company. That's true. They're going to stick to a different domain. Yeah. yeah, they don't control my access to the internet. I don't respect monopolies. I don't respect that. I think it's bad for the culture. And a duopoly is the same thing as a monopoly in my mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, or two or three co- corporations that control everything. And yeah, A lot of trust goes out the window when, when someone's just saying, like, no, no, let, let me call, do your everything. I'll cover everything for you. It's like, this, I got you. Yeah. I don't know anymore, yeah, you know? totally. So I, I, I think there's so much great stuff happening online, obviously. Um, and I love live streams. I think it's really fun. I love streaming. I love, I don't mind algorithm radio. I don't mind that, but I like live stuff. I love Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's awesome. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't agree with everything that Joe says, but who cares? I no. don't really need to. Well, and I love that he does sort of what we were talking about earlier, which is, uh, he respects people that are coming from different viewpoints and is willing to hear them out yeah. and then willing to, you know, rebut and what it may be, but, but it never gets to a level of animosity. Or... One of my favorites is Bill Maher. I'm an enormous Bill Maher fan. And I know that a lot of people who are friends of mine or who maybe just follow me along, they hate Bill Maher. And because they don't think he's woke. Uh, But I'll tell you something. Bill's mega woke. But Bill has a point of view which suggests that he doesn't subscribe to all the bullshit from the left. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with everything Bill Maher says, but I never set up to. And I like, I like, I love Bill Maher. He makes me laugh too sometimes, you know, even if when he's saying shit I don't agree with. Yeah. He did a whole rip on Stan Lee and comic books and stuff and saying how they were for kids. And I still found it like a funny monologue. I actually agreed with him big time on that. In some ways I did too, but, uh, but obviously I'm a fucking nerd. So like I was, you know, defensive in a different way, but I still thought it was a well-written monologue and he was funny as hell. But also like have people challenge you and who cares if you like, he's not right. That's just his point of view. That's his opinion. He's not right. Yeah. He's not telling you you can't still like comics. Exactly. Or whatever it may be. Exactly. Yeah. I think what he was just, I, I heard the same. It's just. It's this idea that, like, my my three favorite people in the public eye say shit that I disagree with all the time. We have fundamental values differences on some issues, but we have a lot in common as well. And I never for once want to be a fan of somebody who doesn't challenge me. What is the point? Yeah. Holy shit. To go on the air, if I didn't listen to Public Enemy or The Clash or Patti Smith or George Carlin as a kid, what would I have become? Yeah. I would become a follower, man. Another cog in the machine. No thanks. Yeah. Hard pass. I want people to push me, not just so that they can challenge my values, but so I can also look at them and say, no, I don't agree with you. So they solidify my position. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great punk rock manifesto, which is kill your idols. It's really important. Well, and not only that, but you may enlighten them in the process and they, they might come to your side or whatever it may be. And, you know, that's beneficial as well. I remember so. sitting, talking to Bill Marbo about something. And he looked at me once and he goes, is this therapy? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah, if you need it to be. Yeah. You know, I think Bill Maher's amazing. I think Bill Maher, uh, like I said, I don't have to agree with him. But who cares? And Bill doesn't care either. He's done a couple things. Like when he dressed up like a crocodile hunter with the barb coming out of his chest. Was that on TV or was that just... Was that a Halloween couple? party or something? But they got photos taken of it and it circulated. I know like... I've but, seen far worse. I know, but... Uh, but his bad taste... Of is, all the people though, crocodile hunter is a fucking sweetheart. Steve Irwin's like, amazing. You know what I mean? Like, But but is bad taste a reason to, to cut a guy out? No. And that's why not. a lot of this cancel culture stuff is taken over the top. You totally. Know? And But I respect it in a way because against cancel culture is also what we were talking about earlier when we say the Don market, Jerry the market is yeah. just decided, mm-hmm. right? You know, I don't think that's what that, the people want. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not mad at people who are, who, 
who have a voice now who have been ignored for so long by the mainstream. I'm not mad at them. Let no, not rip. at all. Let her rip. Uh, burn it down if you have to. Yeah. I'm, I'm on side with that because things got to change and I'm ready for it. Maybe that's why Lee Scratch Perry did it. I don't, I don't know if that was on the recording, but we were talking about before he said oh, he Lee, burned down. Uh, Lee Scratch Perry burned his studio down. <laughs> I think Lee did it for, yeah, I, you know, philosophically. Maybe he was just fucked up, you know. Well, I think there's no doubt about that. <laughs> but I think philosophically he did it because, you know, don't rely on your past. The, your past is irrelevant. Unless you owe somebody an apology, then it's important. Yeah. But your past is generally, your past accomplishments. Always be moving forward yeah. in, in some momentous way. Yeah. yeah. Past accomplishments are, are unimportant. Um, I, I, before I forget about the Strombo, uh, house of Strombo. Oh, anyway. So that's why I went to much. So I said, F it. I'm doing it at my house. I walked by the edge. I walked by much. They were both closed. I said, I'm doing it at my house. That's how I started doing the house of Strombo. Something dies. Something new is born. Yeah. I get that. Symbolism there. Um, Okay, well, the, the main question that I got concerned, or not concerned, confused about there yeah. was uh, when I realized you were straight edge and living the straight edge lifestyle, specifically with having bands coming into your house, I was just going to ask you, like, what kind of a struggle, or, or do you find that difficult to have people... You mean if there's booze or drugs in my house? Well, we know musicians and yeah. rock stars are generally indulgers in a lot of... Uh, no, no, right? no, I go to Burning Man all the time, man. I've been five times. I love it. So how did you, uh, or when and why did you become straight edge? Though? I quit. I went clean most in 1994. Oh, wow. Ages ago. Long time ago. I was making a lot of bad choices, and I was going in a bad direction. You and would I, have been pretty young at that point, yeah? 22. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm, I started early. Yeah, same <laughs> you know? here, yeah. I earned it. I earned it, too. Uh, you know what? And uh, I just decided it was time. I, wasn't, I, was, I was unhealthy. Doctors kind of waited on that as well. I had mm. some doctors who were just kind of like, you got to change your life. Um, I remember getting my last rites from a, a preacher. I remember, like, there was... Jesus. Yeah, I was near the end for, for sure. You were in a hospital or something? No, no, I was at home. And, uh, but I wasn't like, but that wasn't alcohol or drug related. That wasn't that. Um, it was just not, I was in good health. And then one day I just kind of went, nah, fuck it, I'm done. And also I realized, and this is true, man, all of everything I've said to you is true, <laughs> I, I think. Um, I realized that I wanted to be good at this job. I wanted to be good at it. And I wanted to be good at it on a level that um, I knew was there, but was out of reach. And so I thought, if you want to, when you're watching the greatest musicians of all time, uh, you know, music heads, we'll call them killers. That's a fucking killer. That guitarist is a killer. I wanted to be the equivalent in my business of a killer. And I wanted to get to that level where I could sit in any room in any country around the world with anybody, regardless of what they did for a living. Could I sit across from a president or a prime minister or a dictator? Not be phased. Not phased at all. Not just not be phased, but own it. Like and say, hey, you have a responsibility to reach the audience. And I knew that it just took time and effort. So I made a decision when I was very young in my career that I wanted to be good at this. I wasn't an addict. I wasn't an alcoholic, none of that. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I, I think to get to where I need to go, I have to focus. I talked to Tom Morello about his, he came over to the house from Rage to talk about yeah. practice schedule. An audio slave. And an audio slave. He talked about the amount of hours a day he practiced. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day. Well, so did I. That's, but I could But he may have been practicing under the influence, right? I don't think he was, actually. He well, was, that, that was yeah. just the point I was going to make yeah. when you are talking about the greats and all that. I'm sure tons of them were you know, using or whatever. Yeah, but they're all dead. Yeah, that's true. They're fucking <laughs> dead, man. Yeah. Uh, I remember a friend of mine was like, you know, all your favorites, 
you know, your favorite music, you know, wouldn't exist without marijuana. I'm like, that's not true. My favorite music wouldn't exist without heroin. Yeah. Right. You know, Heroine's my favorite artists are yeah. fucking junkies. Yeah. Johnny Rotten, you know, Johnny Rotten's one of my, one, Wayne, one of my obviously. favorites. Yeah. These are like the Kings. Brad Noel from Sublime. Yes, exactly. You yeah. know, I don't, Patty Smith didn't do heroin. Um, I, but a Patty, hell of a lot of them did. Yeah. Yeah. Hell exactly. But I thought for myself that, uh, I will only get to the level I want to get to if I practice uh, in a way that's commensurate with my goals. How committed to this am I really? Mm -hmm. So I knew people who were trying to get work in this world would go home and practice an hour a day. I practice 15 hours a day. Dude, I still, to this day, practice. I am constantly working on my craft to this day. I've done this for 30 years. And Sounds I like you have multiple crafts, though. I have multiple crafts, but I have to work on them in multiple ways, yeah. right? So I spend so much time doing shit that people I work with look at me and they say, why are you wasting your time with that? But I know what I'm doing mm -hmm. is I'm practicing because my great um, Alan Iverson thing, you talking about practice? We talking about practice? That's what this is. It's practice. Like you have, if you want to be good, practice a little bit. If you want to be great, phenomenal, yes. Honor it, and because being great is not a thing to achieve. Like it's not like I'm great. It, no, it's not anything I am. It's a work ethic. Like uh, this is not about me. This is about the work ethic, right, and the craft. And everybody can get to this level and do whatever they want, but you have to honor it. Craft is not something you own. Craft is something that you hope. Something you harness. And hope it shines its light on you for a minute, and. You have to do so much just to get to that point. And I respect it. I mean, I come from zero education. N no, uh, I went to Hummer College for radio broadcasting. I was a movie theater usher and a forklift driver. And I worked at Mr. Submarine. These are my, but my career goal. Mr. Sub, nice. I loved it, man. Man, assorted. They're dying out, though, eh? Are they? Uh, do the cold, was it the cold cut combo? No, the assorted. Yeah, my dad used to bring those home when we were kids. Remember but... the assorted? Oh, my God, Brian. The assorted was my favorite oh, yeah. uh, before I went vegan, yeah. So, so all I'm saying is, is that when I, I realized that if I wanted, I couldn't do that hungover. I could, and I was partying a lot and I would go out and I would be out of my mind. And then one day I got a call, uh, and I, I wasn't working, uh, and I was at a party and I was fucking toasty. And I got a call from my boss saying, Hey, can you come in and fill in? Oh, shit. And I remember like, it was an overnight show, like one or two in the morning and I was obliterated. But what do I say? Totally got it. Went to work. Had a bunch of coffee, overnight show, barely pulled it off. But in my head, I thought, well, that was dumb. You should have been ready, man. Yeah, like what if this had been something you actually cared a lot more about? Yeah, well, I was only 22 at the time. Yeah. Right? You know, also I was riding motorcycles, and I didn't even want to have a motorcycle with one drink in me. So a couple of friends of mine had died. Very so smart. I'm, just, I'm looking around thinking, I don't need that mm -hmm. for this. And I wanted, so what I did was, and this is a true thing, man. Every single day I went to work. On my day off, I went to work. I would go into the radio station at the fan, the sports station. I would wait for the guy doing the music show overnight around like down the hallway. I'd wait for him to put on a long song because when he put on a long song, I knew he was going downstairs to have a cigarette. I would run into the studio. I would grab his playlist. I would photocopy it. I would return it. I would take a bunch of CDs that I know he wasn't playing that he didn't need anymore. I would take it. He didn't even know I was in there. I would go into a production Dang. studio. It's like some ninja shit. Totally. I'd wait till 10 o'clock or whatever, top of the hour, midnight, 1 a.m. I'd wait till top of the hour, again, pre-internet, and I would just press play, and I would fake a radio show for wow. nobody. 
just for me. And I did it every single day. Really? For years. Wow. When, so when I got on TV, uh, I'm not, by no means am I great intelligent on any level. I just, I'm competent for what I am. But I remember like, they went, you can kind of do, uh, you can like do any kind of show. And it's like, yeah, because I practiced every kind of show a lot. And I practiced when I was tired, like four in the morning, man. I'd be there faking a radio show for nobody. I'd record the show. I'd hand it to somebody. And so can you give me an air check? And they'd be like, your shit, do it again. And I would every single day that I wasn't working. So I'd be working. And then not, that's that was my, I would sleep on my boss's couch in his office for two hours. And I remember he walked in one day and I was passed on his couch in the morning. And you know what he did? He shut the door and went and work somewhere else because he respected the grind. And because he had that grind. And a lot of us in that era had that grind. You know, Barry Davis, uh, Elliot Friedman, Bob Mackwitz, Jeff Merrick. We were all there at the same time. We were just babies. And we were all working like that. That's how you pull it off. Because there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of cats who can have three, four, five, ten year careers. You can do that. How do you get a 30 year career? And you're going to be older a lot longer than you're young. That's true. <laughs> so, so put the fucking investment in that, man. And most cats, and this is where, uh, I don't know how old you are, but most cats. 34. In, 34? Yeah. So most cats in the, in, in the social media uh, game, you can get famous quickly. And that's dope, right? Because fame is an important part of this. Profile is an important part of this equation, right? Mm -hmm. The more you have people watching you, the more you have access to sponsors or whatever, or networks. Propel yourself. 100%. Yeah, yeah 100%. What you don't have, though, is this, like most people, once they get a little taste of it, well, they think that's the win. That's not the fucking win. The win is, can you do this in your sleep? If I got a call tomorrow, in fact, I was once not saying I can. And by the way, this is not bragging because it's not bragging. This is honestly a so far from meeting. You've been like the most humble dude ever. So it's just work. Right? Yeah, it's just craft. I remember this is a true story. I was so tired. I finished this TV the interview show season. I was so exhausted. Right. Um, I drove my car, a motorcycle to L.A. I get to L.A. I park my bike and I had uh, a house there like I was renting. And I had a kayak there. I remember, I swear to God, I got in my kayak. I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to the ocean. So I, I can swear on this show, right? So oh, yeah, yeah. Fucking A. So I paddled out in the ocean. True story. I'm not even that good a kayaker. And I'm the waves are bigger than I need them to be. And I'm just going, I'm going to fucking die out here. This is crazy. But whatever, I'm just chilling. And I have my phone inside my shirt, right, out there. And the phone rings. And I look at it. I'm, I'm not answering it. And it keeps ringing. Then I finally pull it out of the, the, the kayak pocket. And I look at it. Uh, and it's a number from Toronto from work. And I'm like, oh, what do you want from me? Yeah, leave me alone. I'm not back for two months. Right? What do you want? So I answered it, and they're like, hey, listen, so he'll do the interview. And I'm like, what? And it was Prince Charles. Oh, and he hadn't geez. done a television interview in Canada, right? He'd, yeah, it's a heavy hitter. Do, yeah. And I was just, and they're like, where are you? And I'm just like. Start kayaking, George. Yeah, well, this is it. I'm yeah. like, I'm on the fucking, I'm in the Pacific Ocean right now. So here's what I did. I said, all right, I'll do it. Put my phone in my pocket, paddle back get in the car, drive into Hollywood, stop at a clothing store, buy something that I think I can wear, go home, take a shower, wake up on a plane in England doing the interview. And, but with zero, like not one ounce of me thought, can't do this. And it's not because I, I'm like, oh, I'm cocky. No, it's because I'm like, oh, yeah. I've, the I've, thought doesn't even enter. No, yeah, because it's not about you, right? They When, when you have a public pre presence and you have, a, like I said, a platform, uh, what it is is somebody's giving you the keys to the car for a minute. Mm -hmm. Take care of that car. 
be responsible with that car. Be respectful with that car. Drive the fuck out of that car. <laughs> make that car a bit your own. Yeah. But you're going to give that to somebody else next. So make sure it's better and faster for them. And so. Don't total it. Always don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've wrecked my car a few times. So that's <laughs> for sure. But then get him a nice car. So I. So to me, it was like, it's just, it's practice. Craft, craft, craft. And it's, to me, a good career is like a good country. Like Canada is not a real like we you know we brag about what Canada is. It's not. It's an it's an ideal that's not real. It's something to aspire to. Go get it. Yeah. Gotta do the work. It's a mentality. Yeah. Wanna call yourself a, a great country? Have clean drinking water for everybody. We don't have that. If we don't have that, we're not a great country. Yeah. I don't give a shit what's great about this country. Yeah. Not everybody in this country has those are clean. all people who could be contributing to making it a better com- country and everyone could be succeeding together. You yeah. Know? And, or not being poisoned. Well that yeah I mean, right? that's yeah. the baseline that's obviously. The baseline. Yeah. You you would think, right? So we're not a great country until everybody has clean drinking water. Mm-hmm. I, I will fight. Actually, any... the girl whose show I bailed on, we had yeah. talked about this a lot because she's uh, putting on all these indigenous yeah. shows. She's uh, an indigenous woman herself, and we, we touched on a lot of this as well. So Got to do it. And so, But it's, an, it's something to aspire to. So I think comfort and success in this career, if you're so lucky as to be given it, um, will only be given to you, I'm talking about a long-term career, is if you respect it mm-hmm. and you do the work and you challenge it. Make it better. Make it more progressive. Make it more inclusive. I draw a line in the sand very simply. You either are more inclusive or you're more exclusive. If you're more exclusive, you're not on my team. If you're more inclusive, you're on my team. Right on. Those who make this a better, safer place for everybody, especially people who don't have a voice, that's the team we're on. That's a good team to be on. Especially <laughs> with, with our fucking privilege that we've been given by being, you know, we're white men in this country. Yeah. Gift. Like we, we avoid a lot of bullshit yeah. by being guys like us. Um, and we don't have um, as many assumptions made about us, negative connotations just, being drawn about us just because of the way we look. Or, yeah, walk down the street and just see what it's like when you're not white mm-hmm. when a police officer shows up. You, different. You different know, life. well, I mean, this was also my driving record, but I'm sure if I had been, I got pulled over once and uh, I have a really great driving record. And she even said to me, uh, you can t- officially tell your mom you're a good boy, which I found very condescending, to be honest. But The cop told you that? Yeah, a female cop said that to me I'd after like, pulling me over. i like, don't talk about my fucking mother. I, oh, <laughs> I wa- no, I wanted to say, my mother's dead. And oh, just like, no, no, no. Just fuck with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, but, uh, but had I been a person of color in that, that probably would have gone very differently. I got, you know? I got, would have uh, found a reason that I was guilty. You it could have been. I got kicked around hard by LAPD, and I was just like, my God, I mean, you're treating me like this completely unfounded. Uh, but I know what they do to a young men of color down there, and it's it's crushing, crushing. Where I lived in Venice, are the 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 story would all have been if you see three African American men standing on a corner just talking, there will be five cruisers. Jesus, it just happens. So we we've already like that's an indignation and a fear that we don't have. So what we're supposed to do with that extra space, you know, like you have to compartmentalize all the realities of your life. No matter what you and I go through and we go through real, real human shit, we real stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Real things that nobody has a smooth path for the most part. There's things we don't have to compartmentalize. Things we just don't have to. Parts of just your basic makeup too. You can't change your skin or your ethnicity or any of that. And if you're a man, think of all the things you avoid. True. So the stuff that like we walk down the street and we don't have a fear in us that a lot of women have to have. Yeah. Think about all the energy that goes into compartmentalizing that. We don't have to do that. So my thing is, what are you going to do with that space, that extra space you have? Are you going to go on TV and you're going to tell people how to make more fucking money, how you can be a better you? Fuck that. No, it's not about you. 
how can you take that opportunity and that extra space and do something on behalf of somebody else? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying like, don't go on to talk about music or movies or comic books or sports. There's, I'm just saying that with your profile, what are you going to be about? Yeah, help the underdog sometimes. Help you them. Know? Yeah, help them. And and if you got big elbows, stick them out, stick them out. And that's been my my and and, and once I realized when I was young that my career is not about me, my career is about us. I'm I work with the same cats I worked with 20 years ago. Us, us is better than me every single time. And all the benefits that you want out of making it about you, you're gonna get them anyway. Yeah, you're gonna get them anyway. <laughs> But don't lead with that. Don't fucking lead with yeah. it. You don't need it. It's going to come. It's not about being famous. It's about being making good shit, right? And I've learned over the years that language is really important. Not just what you say on the air, but what you tell yourself. What you feed your subconscious. That's really important. And so I can... Like a mantra, you mean, of some kind? or Just I won't let... Like, I, 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 I will not get in my own way. This I do a, that constantly. I don't, think. Don't. I mean, I'm clearly doing some things, right? Yeah, You're yeah. here, but yeah. uh, on a day-to-day basis, just with my anxiety and OCD and some things that I feel like I don't. sometimes don't have control over. But. Well, I mean, if it's a medical thing, yeah, doctors, I mean, I, and that's different. Yeah. Like, right? but, but it's still something I can try to... This one, my, my commentary about mental health, if you can, you should always still be trying to climb that. If that, you can, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Take the medication if it's what works for you. But for me, uh, I tried, you know, Prozac when I was 18 or 19, and it worked in some of the ways it was supposed to. My anxiety kind of went down. Yeah. But all my creative uh, juices just kind of left at the same time, and it yeah. was, you I'm, know. I, I, I'm only a doctor in the honorary sense and not in medicine. I heard that. That's right. But, I um, but I, so I don't, I would never comment on like the, 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 the medical component to it. But even without that, people get in their own way all the time. Mm-hmm. And in this business, everything's in your way to start. And I believe that if you can't figure your way through it, then you shouldn't have it. This you don't deserve it, yeah. This career's not for everybody. Because if you do this job right, look at Donald Trump, right? If you do the job right, as a public person, meaning he became super famous, like really famous. He was in Home Alone. He's yeah. very famous. Donald the Trump Apprentice been, and all yeah, that. Yeah, he's been famous for a long time, right? In a lot of ways. In yeah. a lot of ways. Um, there's no ceiling. He could become the president, and he did. Mm-hmm. Every other job has a ceiling. What's your union? What's your pay grade? Almost every other job in this world has a ceiling. This job, if you do it right, meaning a public person, build up some whatever, has no ceiling. There's no limit. Yeah. No limit. So what's the cost going to be? Because it's going to cost you something, right? And the biggest cost is, are you responsible? And do you have the stomach for it? Because you need to have the stomach for it to pull this off. And not everybody does, and that's cool. And there's lots of gigs that I'm sure I don't have the stomach for. You know, I don't really want to be, well, actually, I don't want to be a surgeon. No, I, I completely I don't, agree. Yeah, I don't some, have the steady hand for that, right? Now my gig. There's things I don't want to Someone's life in your hands as well, yeah. Pass. Don't want to be, you know, pass. Don't want that. Um, but I, you, I believe that most people can, can get through the, the obstacles that they put in their own way. Uh, actually, to tie this into my family, um, just because you're talking about honoring it and that being a way to sort of forge through difficulties. Uh, my brother is actually a funer- funeral director. Which, That's what I was going to be. You know, yep. you have to. You got to, first of all, just get around the life and death thing to some degree to be able to deal with what you have to do. But he told me that a lot of the ways that he was able to deal with some of the more disturbing, you know, situations he found himself in was by honoring the fact that he was going to be giving these families closure. And, you know. What a gift. 
what a gift to be the person that has that responsibility. Well, not unlike your interview that you mentioned with, um, with June, the woman yeah. who was, uh, she yeah, passed June. away only a few days later after that interview. Um, I wanted to be funeral director when I, when I was booted out of the art situation, I figured I was going to be a funeral director, but then I fucking failed science and I uh, failed. So I, but I really failed science. Like I didn't get close. I answered every question on the final exam. I think I got a hundred and I think the exam was like 117 questions. And I think I got 20, right? Like I really bombed out. So I dropped math and science and that was the end of my that window closed. That was it. Yeah. Funeral direction. I always liked funeral direction because of the music. Well, uh, I always for me it was Nine Inch Nails. It was very you know very morose, very gothy. I'm like I can get behind the music. Yeah, I can get behind the music in the in the in this game. I could be an Undertaker, right? I could do that. <laughs> the vibe, but, yeah, yeah, I could do it. But uh, your brother does that now. Well, uh, funeral director, as I understand it, what he does is more uh, the upstairs kind yeah, of the stuff. Upstairs, now. Yeah, but yeah, he yeah, did yeah. have to go through the course of embalming people yeah. and doing all that. And he told me about some you know pretty disturbing stuff. That people had been run over by trains and weren't really in one piece in the body oh, bag and stuff like that, you know? Wow. And as wow. far as I know, I'm pretty sure he's had to do kids and or young people and, uh, you know, the That's whole heavy. process, right? And yet my brother's like almost the last person I would have expected to be able to handle that because yeah. I remember him cutting his hand when he was like 10 and, and passing out from the, the sight of his own blood. Yep. And here he is dealing with dead bodies on their eggs. Or You know, this skin that you're wrapped in often belies the lion inside you. And most of the time, people never get to see that fucking lion. Hmm. Never mind the world. You don't get to see the lion you are. And then your brother goes on and does this. Yeah. What are To take somebody to their final resting place? Oh, what an incredible responsibility. What yeah. a beautiful responsibility. And gothy music. So <laughs> it all works out. You know? yeah, hey, man, maybe you really should get back here. It sounds <laughs> nah, like you nah, got nah. a second calling here. Yeah, I, 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 I'd rather just ride a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. Um, shit, man. Uh, I definitely wanted to touch on... Well, actually, uh, the straight edge stuff was meant to also segue into veganism because yeah, yeah. you did mention you were vegan, and my dad recently switched to vegan, and I myself, I'm a vegetarian. Trying, trying, it's hard. I'm vegetarian, yeah. uh, more pescatarian. I suppose I eat fish sometimes, but I ate so much fish, I just my body couldn't deal with it anymore. Oh yeah, so much sushi. I ate so much sushi, my my body couldn't. When deal was it. this change for you? I think I went vegan. I don't remember exactly, but I'm thinking it's eight nine years ago. Okay, roughly. Uh, but I gave up fish a little. See, I didn't eat fish as a kid. I didn't much. I didn't eat sushi at all until I was uh, working at Much Music. I'd never had sushi. The idea of raw fish was not my vibe. And then, as this woman who was in a band who I interviewed said, "Let's go get sushi." So I had it, and I thought it was good. Then I went down to New Orleans, speaking of funeral directors, and I went to the funeral parlor that Trent Reznor had converted into a recording studio. Oh, crazy! And after that, I went and got a bunch of seafood, and I hadn't eaten a lot of seafood, and I loved it. And then I just ate so much. So there's a sushi restaurant around the corner from my joint in Toronto, and I remember every time I'd walk in, they would know. I would walk in in the back, I would sit, and I would eat. Just reek up the place. Two two hours. They would just be feeding pounds of sushi. And then my body just rejected it, probably because of the mercury. So I just had to stop eating sushi. Well, were you hitting like a calamari and the whole everything from the ocean or just mainly sushi? So, yeah, sashimi. Just like just raw fish. You know, oh. I loved it so much. Um, so and then you miss it, it now then? <laughs> no, but sometimes I remember thinking how great it was having a great piece of sushi. But honestly, the vegetarian sushi is great. Um, I I'm, the, I'm maybe the last guy you would have ever expected to go vegan if you knew me. I'm the last guy. Anybody used would, to be a big meat eater. Oh my god, steak and lobster, and then in the middle of it, I would order a second order of that. Like I could crush food. I could, my manager always says he's like he's never seen anybody eat like me. I could eat like it's going out of style. But I had this philosophical shift in my head where I thought the world is not mine to go through. 
I'm eating like I want. And I don't, and I just could see that it, it's not a great habit in my head. And so I just said, no, maybe, no. maybe don't order those Fred Flintstone ribs. You don't get them. <laughs> yeah. Put it away, bro. You had enough. Yeah. I didn't want to see food as something I, I reject and I shouldn't, but I reject foodie culture. I hate it. I fucking hate foodie culture. I work with the world food program. We go all around the world. We see food insecurity all around the world. The concept of foodie culture just burns every part of me. It's not bad. It's it not just, for you. It just burns me. Yeah, I get it. And I'm in the wrong but it burns me. And I just, I didn't want to fetishize food. I didn't want to be a part of that. Um, food is a beautiful thing, but again, like my whole bullshit punk rocky thing I subscribe to, if, if we all can't have, we must fight till they all have. And I, so I just rejected it. And so I just was like, I'm, just, I'm eating too much. I'm eating the wrong stuff. And one day I was at a restaurant in Toronto and they had this, Apparently, it was like one of those hoof, snout kind of tail things with everything you would eat. Everything. Okay, all the crazy bits. Yeah. All the crazy bits. So the, I, we, my friend Jim and I ordered this charcuterie plate, and I'm eating a bunch of meat. And this one piece at the end I ate, and I was like, eh, I don't like it, but whatever. And I said to the, the server, I said, hey, man, what is that? And he says, it's horse. Oh. And I said to him, you got to fucking tell me if it's horse. And he goes, no, no, meat is meat. It's the same as a cow. And then I said... It's absolutely not. Yeah, the I don't same want to eat a cocker a cow, spaniel, dude. Because yeah. it's also not the same laws, the same regulations mm. as the whole other world. And he's like, "No, it's this big deal." I'm like, "Don't." And I'm very polite generally, but I was like, "Fuck, I take that fucking." And so my friend Jim's like, "I'll eat it." So he ate it. The next day, I'm walking <laughs> down the street, and there was this cop on a horseback on a horse on Queen Street, and he, I, we'd crossed paths before in a good way, and we started talking. But I was on the curb. So it's at eye level of the horse <laughs> and the horse was staring at me. And I remember looking at the horse thinking, fuck, you know, <laughs> you can probably smell it on your breath. Yeah. yeah. So I said to the horse, I didn't know. And the cop's like, what are you saying? I said, I accidentally. <laughs> You're like confessing. Said, yeah. I'm like, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. And you know what? That stuck with me. That's it's like a lot of my friends that went vegan when they were stuck in traffic behind a tractor trailer pulling cows or pigs and they make eye contact with a cow and once you make eye contact with an animal going to its certain death there are a lot of people who make jokes and go oh, i want to eat pork but there's a few people who go i can't do this anymore yeah and when i talked to that horse i thought i gotta be better at this and then also the environmental impact so then of i just went, i just went vegan you know? yeah i'm but but like the booze and drugs thing with the meat thing and this is where I'm, i i i disagree with most of my friends on the on the left um I do whatever you want I don't care. That's how I feel. I don't care. Yeah, like, well, because everyone's on their own journey. Um, yeah. For me, like, I'm not like a card-carrying PETA men member or anything. I do eat fish sometimes. Yeah. I eat uh, eggs and butter and shit yeah. like that. But I always figure that, like, if all this life is on this earth, I didn't create any of this life, right? So I'm not comfortable at this point taking it or not in a large way or, or being contributing to that life. Yeah, like taken. the factory, like the gigantic industrial. Yeah, that's a... But yeah. on the same vein... I didn't create you either. Yeah. So what the fuck? Why should I have control over your journey and your path and your, 100%. you know what I mean? hundred percent. And also, you know, the other thing that happened around that time was they banned the filming in America in chicken coops. And I remember sort of chopping beaks. Yeah. So, so activists couldn't film what was happening. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember saying, wait, you're going to film me on every step of my day, but the only thing I can't see is what I eat. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Yeah. You corporate bullshit pigs who are in bed with the government fuck you guys yeah and i was and i was like fuck you and i'm done and that was kind of the the straw 
Well, and the me. worst p- part is we're feeding this to our youth. You know, people are taking their kids to McDonald's every day or whatever. Oh, like, what garbage are you putting? Or... Yeah, exactly. Like, good things in moderation. Just I when you say it, I'm like triggered in a good way. I'm like, oh my god, I just remember that so well. Taken back, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love. I used to date this girl, and she used to tell me all the time. This woman, she used to tell me all the time. She's like, you're such a peasant, because I would just like give me the most low rent food you can get me. I'm in. You know, man, you Big Mac, Big Mac, twenty McNuggets, two cheeseburgers, and a McChicken. Heaven for me. That was a meal for me. I love it. That's quite a hefty one. Oh, I could eat. I could eat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I could eat. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's no late night food in Ottawa, is there? Uh, You can find something, I'm sure. But yeah, you got to stay vegan, man. But that's why I went vegan. No, I'm not going to get a burger yet. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I went vegan. But again, I, um, I also felt a lot better since I did. Well, when you were talking about uh, just recognizing, like, I don't need to eat this, I was going to bring up something that's been helping me in the same regard and has uh, had a full circle effect on my uh, my willpower in a way, which is uh, intermittent fasting. That's what I do that. Just because that's like, I, when I get into a, a pretty long fast, I look at food and I go like, oh, I'm not even hungry and How I should be. Lo- what's, your, what's your ratio? Uh, I do two to three a week on average and they're usually 20 to 24 hours. Yeah, so I do 18 to 20 hours and okay. I do about five days a week. Oh shit. Not today on the plane but often and i'll tell you but i drink a cold brew coffee okay i drink cold brew coffee yeah i drink black coffee yeah, yeah. i'll have two two blacks uh, two black coffees a day that's it um and i'll drink water do you eat a big meal before bed because i do that and apparently it's all a myth that you're not supposed to yeah so what i do is i i try to this is if i can go to the gym or not but i do the long ass fast then i go to the gym and then eat after eat, the fast dude i talked about this like last episode yeah the caveman method or whatever dude, you know i eat you hunt your food yeah because when would you find your food? When you're probably tired and hungry. Yeah. And then you'd have to work your ass off to get it. And yeah. then you'd eat a shit yeah. ton of protein. And and- I am pastorific, man. I can I can eat spaghetti like you've never seen, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I love it. And when, I, when I'm not intermittent fasting, like today, I have less energy. Yeah. When I am intermittent fasting, um, my life is completely different. And I think, I don't know that it's for everybody, but I know that this, if you're a dude and you get to a certain age, mid-30s, should really think about it. Yeah. Changes. Or trying it at least. Yeah. yeah. It, again, it's like you're 20 years old. You don't need it. No, you've got this metabolism totally. working overtime still. Yeah. You get to your mid-30s. There's also something really interesting about leaning into your hunger. Like leaning mm-hmm. into it and just going, yeah, I could eat, but no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. To me, when I'm going, when I'm at the, like the, at the gym and I know I'm near the end of the workout, I get so excited. Crush even more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I'm gonna, I get into the car and I swear to God, I time it. I get on my Uber Eats yeah. app. I'm like, boom, this. This, 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 boom. Head home, take Wait a shower, for your feast. sit down, eat, put on a show. Yeah. And just kind of eat. And I don't feel, I don't think about what I'm eating. I mean, I, of course, I try to, well, I don't always eat healthy, but uh, I, I do think that for men of a certain age, it's real. I, I don't know the physiological impacts on women. I'm not a woman, but I know from my, my male friends who do this, they, the difference in their life is dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not only that, but if everyone started getting on board with fasting, we'd just all be consuming less as a species, which would probably be great for the planet, you know? Totally. I was in uh, Sudan uh, during uh, the war, and it was Ramadan. And the, they were breaking fast. I think it was 3 in the morning. I don't remember exactly. They were breaking fast at 3 in the morning. And the joy, the fun. I mean, there's a war going on, right? But the, the spirit where everybody gathered to eat after a day of saying, no, I'm good. Yeah. Um, and it was about, and really what it was about was something other than yourself. And I really like that. I just love it. And I think I need these kind of rules in my head. I have to kind of create, because uh, I live a very unstructured life and I have a very unstructured brain. It can help uh, give you some focus. And, it's, yeah, I, yeah. Need, I need it. Otherwise, I'm a fucking, I'm a spiraling 
Well, and what you were saying about people assuming that when you're fasting, you're going to be like tired. I feel everyone has that expectation when they don't do it. They think, oh, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to get through my day. But counter that, since I've been doing fasts, like if I'll go to work, I always fast because I find if I eat, I just want to go to sleep. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired. Like, uh, yeah. I can't think now, yeah. you know. So. But what's worse is that when we start talking about it, I just know that people are because because fitness culture is like the beauty industry. They're both so toxic in a way, in a yeah. lot of ways. They're so positive in some respects, but, but they're so toxic in this fucking bro science and all that. I'm like, but you don't have to tie fasting in with fitness necessarily. Well, I know, but I'm you know saying that I mean? generally people come across people it on, do. on yeah. fucking Instagram and they see these They people. rip you open, yeah. Totally. So I do it on Instagram sometimes, but I, I try to have some fun with it, right? Yeah. I try to have some fun with it. I, because I recognize that, uh, a lot, because what happened was when I went vegan, I lost a bunch of weight uh, and then I had to go to the gym and put muscle back on because I lost all of it, man. I struggle with that too. It's one of the reasons I still eat fish. It's just like right, I can get some protein quick. And I wish I yeah. was in your, in your condition, but I, but so I'll, so sometimes cats will go, "Yo, what are you doing? How'd you how'd you drop the lbs? What are you doing? What are you eating?" So I like sharing it. I had a, I was at some sort of event I was hosting when there was a bunch of vegans around, and there was a vegan YouTuber who said, kind of dismissively to me, "You don't really talk about your veganism." I'm like, no. What do you mean? Why would people care? Yeah. yeah. Like, He's like, you know, because it's not like your thing. And I was like, well, no, of course it's not my thing. <laughs> what I eat my and shit out. fucking no. food is not my thing. <laughs> Food's important, but it's, it's, and it says a lot and it's political, but my politics are the thing. Yeah. Right. So I just never, I never wanted to be that guy. Yeah. You know, but again, it's not, not wrong being that guy because we're promoting a healthy lifestyle. But I, I love it, man. I love it. Except I know tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up. I got to go, I'm doing this event. I got to get up at like six o'clock in the morning. Which I go to bed at five. So to go to six o'clock in the morning is a fucking nightmare for me. And Blink once and then you're out the door. Oh my yeah. God, it's going to be hell. But I'm just like, I need a call. Thank you so much again, man. Oh, I really, no, I, I, know, know got... I, I got nowhere to go. You can talk if you want, but it's your call. You have a family. Oh, uh, no, man. Your family's in the house. You as long you as know? you want to talk to me, dude. Um, I was going to, I wanted to bring up, though, that I read that you were into a lot of charity work and it was uh, too numerous to list them all. But uh, the one million acts of green, I thought was really cool and kind of ties into what we were just talking about uh, with fasting would kind of help that. So, but I want to fully understand what this process was if, if people want to get behind this. Of this the movement. charity stuff? Well, no, the specifically the one million acts of well, green. Well, million acts of green was this, was this campaign we did on the hour a long time ago, which is a very successful sort of environmental awareness campaign, but also like doing the work. That uh, that that program doesn't exist anymore. Oh, my bad. I thought no, it was no, still no. ongoing. No, no but. problem. But, it's, but it does exist in this, that... It's just about the choices you make. And we, what we did with Million Acts of Green was we went out to all these environmental groups that were doing stuff. We brought them under this umbrella and we challenged our audience in the old talk show, do something, do this, switch these light bulbs, do this, do that. And we found it was very easy to get people motivated uh, to do stuff. Um, I, I Listen, I, I, I struggle, I don't struggle, I straddle this line of, I remember hearing Eddie Vedder talk about this once on at a Pearl Jam show. You know, we got to do everything we can to protect this earth. However, yeah, the other side of the coin is it's too late, so let's just have one massive party before it's done. He was joking. It's got to be it middle was, ground. Yeah. yeah, it was based on. I don't. I, but so I, I don't live in a lot of the middle ground. So I'm a pretty extreme kind of person, and uh, for better or for worse, often worse. Um, and I think that for me, with the environment, I, I fly a lot, and I have an El Camino, so I use fuels. I don't love pipeline culture, but I use gasoline. Pipelines are safer generally than trains for transport. That's true. So I 
you know, I'm trying to make better choices for me based on what I'm able to do. So you do it based on whatever money you have or whatever your, your, your life but is little like. little day-to-day things can go a long way, too, if everyone Huge. gets on board. Yeah. Huge. But the number one thing, this is the thing that, that the number one thing we can do as people, aside from switching your diet, is stop buying shit. Yeah. But if we stop buying shit, the economy collapses because the economy is this bullshit thing that's based on you spending your money. Yeah. So... Stuck between a rock and a hard place a little bit. They don't want this to be better. This is the thing. This is where I get to, you know, Joe Strummer about this. I'm optimistic that we can make change, but I don't think, I mean, we're going to fight for it. They don't really want it to be better. What happened after 9-11? What's the first fucking thing George Bush talked about? Go out there and go back in the malls. Go shopping. Shut up. Yeah. Shopping? But this, we we live in a consumer culture. So if we ever break that, I think we can make a difference. But really... Corporations have to change. Companies have to change. Governments have to change. We can make a big difference as an individual, but it's the big polluters. Yeah, it's the big game that has to change. You know, um, I did. How do we accomplish that? Is, stop is having, whole... stop having kids. Stop fucking as many kids as we're having, and stop. And if you do have them, teach them. Teach them. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think that. You know, I think that people. We have, uh, I'm not against kids. Good for you and your kids. Everybody and your kids, I love your kids. I'm happy for you. But I'm just saying that we have to, we have to make choices if we actually really believe in climate change. Mm -hmm. Do we believe climate change is real? Of course. Everybody with a brain does, mostly, that climate change is a real issue. We know plastic in the water is real. Landfills are not going anywhere. You know, uh, how, how many parents buy disposable diapers? How many parents buy diapers? Guilty. Yeah. Yeah. So we know we can get diapers and, wa- and made of cloth and wash them. Yeah. You know, I don't know, Brian, if you ever had, that's what I was raised on. That's what we did. Yeah, that's right. But we're from a different generation. Yeah. But the 80s, right, the, the, the baby boomers, only some of them sold out, not all of them, but some of them turned into this disposable generation, uh, marketed under the guise of technology. Look at how convenient. Yeah. And know? how fast we're coming up with right. new things. Yeah. And, yeah. Was it the Dead Kennedys record, give me convenience or give me death? Like that's... So when I hear people talk about climate change, it's like, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing? I make lots of choices in my life to address it, but I still drive a car. I drive an old car. Do I think my car, my El Camino, that's actually another reason reasons I went vegan. I looked at it, my El Camino and I went, well, I can offset this by doing this. Yeah. So I thought I can drive my El Camino, but I'm not going to eat burgers anymore. And it's like a karma system to a degree. Yeah. Got, got Environmental be, karma. You do your cat. You do what you can. But it's really the government. But as we saw, uh, an enormous federal party in this country campaigned as if climate change was an unreal boogeyman and that they weren't going to do anything about it. Okay. And they got a lot of fucking votes. They got a lot of votes. Scary number. So yeah. do you have a lot of sympathy for them when, when climate change affects them? Of course, because we're human beings, but they made their bed. We yeah. make our bed. So whenever she problem goes, is we all share the planet. So. That's the problem. <laughs> that is the problem. But you know, I was, I was watching about this with the Brazilians and the rainforest when the rainforest is on fire and, you know, and, and Bolsonaro, you know, like people want him to sell the people that want to build the economy. They didn't care enough about the rainforest. But if they are, in fact, the lungs around the world, what are we doing? Is our country giving how much? I don't know the answer. Are, are all the countries around the world giving money to Brazil to keep the rainforest alive? Because they should be. Yeah, we should be. If they're the lungs of the world, pay for them. Yeah. Fucking pay for them. Otherwise, shut it. Don't care what you think if you're not willing. And it's not a case of whataboutism. It's a case of accountability. You know, you park illegally for enough times, you get a ticket, you're going to change your parking habits. Most people. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. If you want things to be valuable, if you say they're valuable, 
then show the value. Yeah. Why are we spending all this money on this when we could be spending the money on the lungs of the world if they're, and of course they're that important. Well, you got to get the people who don't believe that they are the lungs of the world who are like, you know, a lot of time making half of these decisions. So, and I don't even know if we can ever get them to change their mind, dude. I don't know. Well, that's why I try to do these little things. Like, uh, I was going to mention that, uh, as much as we were talking about how Facebook kind of sucks, there's a, a group that my fiance Kelly's been using, which is a buy nothing group where it's literally yeah. just people giving shit to other people that's who might great. want yeah. them, you know, I, or Ruckify is another one around here where you can rent tools oh, so you don't cool. have to buy them and just kind of, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a bunch of tools in my, in my shed that I use when I was building decks. I I don't need them. Fucking Tim, borrow them, take yeah, them, use them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there are people trying to make those kind of hundred percent. And it's changing. The other reality is, you know, dude, is that every change is incremental. Yeah. If if there is a planet in a thousand years, it will be a lot better off than it is now in some respects, mm-hmm. and that people might be more be well behaved. It might be too late, but we'll be dead. The best we can hope for is a fucking Star Trek outcome with that. everybody stops caring about money and race, and we all prosper and adventure. And I already live that world. It's called Burning Man. There you I, go. <laughs> I already live in a Burning Man. It's the best. There you go. Yeah, being a Burning Man sober must be interesting. You get to see a it's lot a of people trip. out of their yeah. gourd. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's every now and then. And that's the only place where every now and then I'm like, oh, my God, it would be so fun. Yes. <laughs> well, look, that's kind of coming back to that. It's, I, I heard basically when I asked you that question about going straight edge, um, the reasoning was mainly so you could focus and, and you wanted to have something consistent that you could always count on. Well, and also not die. That was well, a huge yes, consideration. Yes. Yeah, True, but yeah. Um, my point being that you could have at some point decided, hey, I'm going to be strict about when when yeah. I drink or whatever. But going straight edge is a, is a much more, it's much more like vegan. It's a, a hard committal, yeah, you know? Because I can't do anything in the middle. That's my problem. I, I don't have the... Um, Extremist. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty gangster. So I'll go all out. I'll go all out. But that's just, I just know me. So I know me. Be true to yourself. There yeah. are people in my life who would like me to be a little bit more in the moderation game. I'm working on the moderation game. But again, I just well for something like straight edge. If you haven't been using anything like that since '94, oh yeah, no, I'm not going to be using it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, that part of my life's over, sadly. Yeah. But in a way, pretty good. Saved me a lot of bullshit, right? I was surprised uh, that you were straight edge, just because in my mind I was assumed you'd be the type of guy that'd be, hey, you want to smoke a joint? Yeah, totally. Just, you give off that vibe, you know, a yeah, bit. Totally, totally. That uh, no, counterculture, you know. I'll take that as a compliment. Um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I, kidding. Listen, drugs are counterculture for sure. Um, uh, it was, sorry, let me rephrase that. Drugs were counterculture. Mm-hmm. Drugs aren't counterculture anymore. I don't think at all. There's nobody in the count in the drug space. Yeah. And I'm not fucking with hard yeah, drugs. Yeah, I'm, no. I'm doing weed, having a beer. Yeah. Know. But even like I see mushrooms as a really, to me, drugs have switched from counterculture and what they ought to be is medical culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Or at least researched properly yeah. and not just classified as contraband. I know so many people whose lives are better because with proper guidance, microdosing, microdosing mushrooms. mushrooms has changed yeah. their life, getting them off opioids. Um, when they say uh, microdosing mushrooms, they've found evidence in tribes back that they used to do that before hunting because it would uh, it improves your eyesight apparently and your really? mental acuity and things like that. And so they used to use it, to, but little amounts. But if you get a, if you just a little bit extra, you're seeing too many lions out yeah. there, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, yeah, I shot Jerry. <laughs> that's right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I think drugs should be part of a medical uh, conversation, not a justice situation. Mm-hmm. But we know why that was too, because. The Reagan era and shit. Reagan yeah. era. They wanted to fund the war. They were, you know, they were this is your brain. Thing. Yeah, it was all bullshit. But that, yeah. what they were really doing was the Reagan government was conspiring with the drug dealers in the inner city and with the drug growers and deal- cartels you know, in South and Central America and North America. Uh, and they wanted to make their money to fund their war because they didn't want to go to Congress. So what did they do? They fucking just destroyed, an, they destroyed neighborhoods. The crack, crack epidemic, right. yeah. and that's all fact. Like it's not just oh, that's who fucking guys talking. So, yeah, that's fact. Those people are still the people in power. 
that culture, that era are still the people who run. That's how you get the Republican Party. And by the way, the Democratic Party have been a failure forever, and now suddenly they have a conscience. Sure, okay. It's a step in the right direction. Yeah, uh, yeah I've been yeah. I've been all over America, and I'll tell you something. It didn't get better in the 2000s for a lot of people if you're poor. You know, the income inequality well, I'm gap sure is at growing. Least, uh, seeing a black man as president, if you're a young black man living in the States, gives you more to aspire to. Totally. Yeah. But but the income inequality gap is growing. So what's happening? Because he hired, Barack Obama hired the same people who helped cause the financial crisis in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because Barack Obama, for all of his good characteristics, and he has many, uh, he wasn't that progressive in a lot of ways. He was still pretty middle right, economically speaking. But maybe he was trying to play their game a bit, you know, to fit because he knew he was the first black president, he, you know. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's what well, I think Obama's a very smart person. Of course, he's a genius. And I think he's important and wonderful. And at least he spoke it, with some class. Good Lord. He, he did. Compared to class. The, the Trump years. We've he been had having. lots of class for sure. But. Yeah, I'm not an Obama diehard. Yeah. I'm not even American. Like, I, I don't that, know enough about this shit to really speak from. Uh, that, like, but I look at even our country. Like, where are we getting better? Where's the division? Where's the division? How's it getting better? Are, there's still no clean drinking water. There's still this. There's still that. Why? The Liberal Party, what have they done? Like, they've done lots of stuff for some people, but... You yeah, no, talk. you're right. Legalizing weed doesn't seem that important when people don't have clean water to drink. I mean, and they should have... And legal- I was a yeah. big fan of legalizing As weed. They, but, they should have legalized weed, but I mean, yeah. at some point... Is our prioritize. Health, is our healthcare system getting better? Is um, They've addressed the food issue, which is good, the food guide, which is nice. I kind of look at it like, and this is just my 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 hill that I'm going to be on, is that there are a lot of pressing issues in every country around the world. Um, in Canada, get it right with truth and reconciliation, which is a phrase that is overused and little acted upon. Get it right. Figure it out. Get it right. Um, and with meaningful consultation. Don't. I was just going to ask, what would that look like to you? If you were to, I mean, obviously it's a broad, a broad question. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I think it starts with a whole bunch of conversation, but but more than conversation, it's, it's money properly spent. Allocated to the right. Yeah. Yeah. And also just like make big statements. I'm looking forward to the prime minister who one day who says, I want to do this for four years and I'm going to do all the things that we need to do. I'm not going to be a career politician. Give me the majority. Let's go change it. Yeah. Does the shit. Doesn't worry about the popularity contest. Doesn't play the game. The game is so boring. I, I get out, Just make the changes. Put your efforts where it counts, yeah. It's, I mean, everybody talks about how they want their country run like a business, which I don't think it should be. But if you want to run like a business, how would a business operate? If you want to get more people involved in the economy... Give more people a chance to be in the economy. You want to spend less money on healthcare, get more people healthy. How do you get Seems more? like a no-brainer, right? No-brainer. All these super right-wing guys and women who are, and there's so many of them who talk about how efficient and small government should run, but if they ran this country the way they ran businesses, like the good ones I'm saying, you would address all the root causes of your inefficiency. Address the root causes. Get less people in jail. More people in a healthcare situation, put more money into your healthcare situation so more people can get out and actually be members. Like Contributing, one, yeah. Yeah, one day a week we're going to hashtag a bunch of things for Let's Talk Day for a company that's probably already allocating that money anyway. So, like, not And then that, it just feels like a false gesture it's to a be, degree. It's yeah. going to be every day. Yeah. It's going to be every day. Well, um, it's the same, to, not to go too yeah. far out, but like, it's kind of like Valentine's Day. 
You should love your wife every fucking day and do nice things and surprise her with yeah. shit just because you love her. And you know? you know, I think Let's Talk Day has been great because people talk about it way more. I think it's great. But it does the, help, yeah. But the country, the government, it's make big changes. There should be no for-profit prisons. There should be, in my mind, because if you make, if you have companies making money off the incarceration of your people, they don't have any incentive to reduce recidivism. They don't. And they have more incentive to uh, try to arrest people and get them in there that might not actually be guilty. Or And why is it that, you know, um, on par, white people and people of color use drugs the same, you know, on par, but why are some neighborhoods police more than other neighborhoods? Yeah. Fucking fix it. Yeah. Fucking fix it. Address the root causes of poverty. You can do it. Everybody knows how to do it. You can do it. But they don't want to do it. Which is so strange because it's going to benefit them in the long run if they could pull their head out of their ass long enough to, this to is see what, that. You this know? is why I'm, uh, and I'm not a cynic at all about it. This is where I'm very much just like, it's not easy. I'm not naive. But it is doable. You just have to get out there and push your agenda through. But your agenda has to be to include all of us. Yep. Your agenda can't just be yesterday's Canada. Um, the biggest change in my life was when I stopped being a patriot. Like, I love being from this place, but this place isn't a thing to me unless it's a thing we achieve together. That's my view of it. And um, flags and borders and all that. It's all divisive Dude, to begin with. When, like. you, when you realize as a kid that South Africa with apartheid admired the Canadian residential school system and the Canadian reserve system, Whoa. when you realize that they studied how Canada treated its indigenous peoples, how Australia treated its indigenous peoples. When you realize that, you're like, okay, so we're going to be bragging about coffee? Yeah, really. We're bragging about our fucking beer? You know, what are we going to do? So, I'm again, to me, it's all just all punk rock, man. It's all punk rock. You know, I'll never, you know, I'll go to my grave with my fist. I agree. Well, there's you know, too much clenched. too much linked uh, to patriotism and just following blindly that I just feel it's, just, it's yeah. no, don't it's be a sheep. Like don't be a sheep. I'm not trying to, you know, shit on people that are in the armed services or anything like that. Oh, but, of course. I love that. Yeah. yeah. But I but, was in it. You know, I respect it. But it's still like, you know, when something big happens in wars and stuff, you still got to ask those questions. Like, are we going over there for the right reasons? And uh, well, listen, soldiers are never to blame for no, why we course. go. No, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, but you're right. Like, are we? I think we're doing a better job in Canada. That certainly, yes, yeah, yes. we're doing a, certainly a better job in Canada. Um, but yeah. the big people calling the shots is what it always comes down to, whether we're talking military or politics or yeah. anything. You know, yeah, it's got to be. I just think that. But again, it's. It, I I don't think the government or the companies are going to change that much. So I actually think it's up to us. And we can see if we can slowly move it forward. Well, and people like you with uh, your own, you know, realm of influence. Trying my best. I don't hey. do everything right, but I I also don't really, like, I don't worry about getting everything right. I just pick the things that I think I can be effective in, and I work in that space. Yeah. I said this to a friend of mine today because we were talking about this, with this idea of this dog rescue thing we're, we're talking about. And somebody had said, you know, if you do things right, you can save the world. And I was like, nah, fuck, we're not saving the world. Just let's just save our neighborhood. Let's just save the neighborhood. Let's save our street. Not save it, save it, but can we save this part on the street? Yeah. Um, I don't have any ego about this at all. It's not like, can I accomplish it? It's not. It's like, this is just my duty as a human being. My duty is to go and work on behalf of others with the whatever it is has been afforded to me. This career has given me a platform. I have used it to hopefully motivate people, but I recognize also alienating people. A lot of people liked it better when I didn't say this stuff, and that's cool. I appreciate the time that they, they gave to me when they did, 
but I'm on another path, right? And I want to be a part of a real meaningful change. Keep and trying to strive for the most benevolent outcome. There's this fucking Ben. Remember Ben Harper, that musician? He has this great line. Life is short, and with your time, you best do well. There are good deeds and good intentions, and they're as far apart as heaven and hell. Wow. Good deeds. I don't care why good. For the sake of doing them. Fuck, if there's somebody drowning and you want to save them because you look good on TV, fucking save them. Yeah. Not everybody's going to be in it for the right reason. Not everybody's going to be a good dude. Not everybody's going to be a cool girl, right? But that person's not, not drowning anymore. Or a cool, you know, non-binary. Not every, yeah, people are people. Yeah. But just fucking help. Dude, dude pick, pick up something. Pick up, pick up an, a, a, a tool. Do, do what you can today. Yeah. Just fucking shh. Do it. I, I actually really believe that that's the thing. You know, I really, but of course, because I have the, I became the guy that was the TV and the radio thing that, well, so my instrument is a microphone. I still do the work with my hands, but I have the microphone and this is what I try to do with it. Well, and I, I know you've touched countless people because I'm one of them. So, uh, you I'm know, grateful. I can I only imagine the millions of people you've influenced and no, inspired. I, I appreciate, I appreciate having the opportunity to talk to you about it. Thank you, man. I really, uh, with I your dad. Even, yeah. My dad, uh, was a huge fan of yours or is a huge, is it, no, no. Okay. <laughs> um, Okay, well, I'll lighten it up a little bit here yep. with something we normally sort of wrap up the podcast with. I know you got to, stuff to do tomorrow. And uh, this is just a fun question. Cool. We always ask people if they want to look at the wall for inspiration, but if you could be endowed with one superhuman power, and this is not a character, you know, and no flying. Rick. To be Rick Campanelli. No, 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 not Rick Campanelli. Oh. Because <laughs> nobody can be Rick Campanelli. You have a poster there for Rick and Morty. Oh, Rick and Morty. Okay. See, this is what it all comes down to. Everything we've talked about today. Once you realize through all your experience in the multiverse that it's meaningless what will you do rick is an adventurer yeah be like rick be free spirited. be free and rick and morty is the best show uh, what else you got on the wall here oh yeah um, you didn't have to pick from here i just meant if, if you could have any one superpower specific not a character even but one ability besides flying because it's kind of an obvious go-to yeah but flying was cold like i wouldn't right? i'm not especially yeah. in canada geez. yeah <laughs> i mean breathe underwater would okay. be nice um I think we got that once before. Yeah, breathe on a like Yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. breathing. Invisibility comes up every time. Almost. <laughs> There's so many ways to be invisible. I can. I well, can be, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I don't need that one necessarily. Um, what would be? Has anybody picked strength, like superhuman strength? I think someone toyed with it once, but it wasn't their last choice. Strength is dope. To be strong. seems like an aggressive power to pick for a guy if you're uh, wanting to fix the world. But hey, you could build villages and you could. Well, uh, this is my point. Yeah. It's, it's not aggressive. It's protective. How do you use that strength? How do you use your strength? Um, I'd like to be a fire starter just so that I could be like the Prodigy song, <laughs> which I think is pretty cool. Um, no, you know what? Whatever the f that inner anger that fucking Bruce Wayne has. That's the super. You just want his grit. Harder, harness your grimness. Okay. Because I've read it like people. Oh, you know, at his core, Bruce Wayne is optimistic. No, he's not. No, no, he's and not. Since his parents died, I don't no, think he's ever really fucking nihilist. Yeah, yeah, and I'm a very positive nihilist. I think it's all meaningless, <laughs> and I'm cool with it. Let's have a good time, man. I got to work on that. You know, I, I, what's, I, what's the option? The option is being fucking miserable. Yeah, it's something I've wrestled with just the whole, um, you know, dying thing. I, I guess as after having kids and feeling like I'm getting a bit older, I, I got caught up for a couple of years. It was actually after my grandma died because I, I had no like frontline exposure to death. And I was like 26 or 27 when she died. And it was the first real like person that I had a, a major sort of attachment so lucky. to. I know, I know, of course. Wow. Yeah, but it was, but am I lucky? Because people who learn how to deal with that at a younger formative age, it's not maybe so like it was... I did, literally three years I was obsessing about death. Do you want to know what it's going to be like when you die? I can tell you. 
You've already done it before you, before you were born. That is comforting. I've thought of that before. You've done it. Yeah. You've done like it. You don't remember what it was like before you came out, so. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. It's like, calming. I know you had kids and all that, but they'll be fine. Yeah. Fucking lots of people die and the kids turn out to be fine. They figure it out. They oh, and then your kids die one day. Yeah, everybody fucking everybody fucking figures it out. Yeah. You're going to be fine. Um, Circle of life. It yeah. doesn't matter. That's the best part about this. I just saw. It doesn't matter. A really dope. Do you follow, I don't know, a Nature is Metal on uh, Instagram? No, but it is super metal. Dude, look them up yeah. tonight. It's all, like, some of the videos are hard to watch because it's, like, violent, like, killings of other animals and shit. Yeah. But I saw one and uh, today, I believe, and it was, like, a, a possum, a dead possum's clutching hand yeah. with these fantastic purple mushrooms growing from his decaying corpse. Amazing. And this great write-up just on the whole, you know. Nature is so metal. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, follow them tonight, man. I'm telling you. I don't think I would be the person I am today if it wasn't for metal. Discovering metal. Well, not discovering metal. Metal existed. More so than punk? Well, to me, they're the same thing. I know that there's a big division between the, the same two. Coin. Yeah, they yeah. really are to me. It was aggression. It was also this idea. Like, metal taught me that you're disenfranchised and you're right to be. Because fuck them. Mm. Punk taught me you're disenfranchised, you're right to be. Fuck them. Now let's start a fire. Some hip hop as well. Yeah, early hip hop was like yeah. that for me. NWA and shit, obviously. Yeah. It was fuck the man. Yeah, NW was amazing. Oh, my God. I mean, you sit back and listen to some of those songs now. They're so fucking misogynistic, and they're so oh, yeah. homophobic. It doesn't all age well. Yeah, it doesn't age no. well. But sometimes, and again, no excuse for the behavior, but sometimes you got to put things in context. You're like 18-year-old kids, Compton, different era, mm-hmm. different time. Doesn't excuse any of it, but it helps me understand it. Yeah. And, but what, but what they did, NWA, changed the world. And that's a real th- music world, right? But it changed culture. NWA are the reason why hip hop is the number one hip music in the world today because NWA got into the fucking president's mind mm-hmm. and George Bush the first one was ripping on them they were the world's most dangerous band uh, a, a title that used to belong to metal punk and rock bands now belong to a rap band because metal got they were all strapped too, yeah, probably. Metal right? Metal got soft, right? Metal got soft in the late '80s. I'm talking about the mainstream. Thank God, fucking Norway was holding it down <laughs> and was going to give. I'm wearing a mayhem shirt right yeah, now. Yeah. Norway brought the burn, right? I love that. But, but in America, rap music got into the head of the president, and. Ice the white, the white president, nonetheless, you know, the whitest, perhaps, yeah, the whitest, you know, yeah, <laughs> whitest from the whitest family for sure. Um, but the what NWA did really is Ice T, right? And Ice T starts it with six in the morning. Or I mean, Ice Cube, no, no, Ice T. Oh, Ice you're T, right, yeah. you're right. Sorry, yeah, Ice T puts. I just six, saw that on the documentary. Did, yeah, actually, so yeah. He puts out six in the morning. That changed the game. Um, there were other cats doing stuff, you know, Schooly D. People were doing things, but yeah. but Ice T's the guy. That really kind of reached everybody else in LA because he what he brought South Central to the game. Yeah. He brought LA to the game, and he was telling it how the streets were and what kind of shit they were in. Totally, yeah. I was just driving down the road three four days ago in my El Camino, and I drove right past an intersection that Ice T used to rap about, and it was like, my God, this right. is amazing, right? <laughs> so Ice T, and then and I think NWA, and even though you know other bands kind of held on and did the thing, and Hip Hop took a long time after that to really become the dominant music force in the culture. Uh, but it came. And I think you can point a lot of it back to NWA and this enormous, enormous vat of kerosene they poured on the, you know, scared they white America. They rocked the boat for sure. Dude, they fucking dropped live wires into the, into the lake, you know, like, yeah. 
it was game changing for everybody. And you know what's funny? You probably already know this. I don't know if they got to this point in the film in the, in the movie show you're watching. I was playing hockey in L.A. for um, with these crew of Canadians down there. This is one dude from Winnipeg, <clears throat> and I knew his name, Brian, and Brian. And I, <laughs> I look over one day and I see his last name, and I said, "Wait a minute, are you Brian Turner, Brian Turner?" And he said, "Yeah." And I'm said, I said to him, "Like Brian Turner." Priority Records and he says yeah you heard of Priority Records and I said uh, bro <laughs> you signed NWA if you saw Straight Outta Compton yeah I did yeah he was the guy Paul Giamatti's character no he was no. this other guy who was in the um, who was in the roller rink kind of nodding his head along remember in the movie when the guy sh- when Ice Cube shows up with a baseball bat and smashes the office yeah yeah okay that's Brian that's oh, a it's a guy from Winnipeg who signed them that's never happened by the way that never happened. And when Ice Cube audited Brian Turner, they found out that not only Brian Turner gave him everything he was owed, gave him more. Oh. Brian Turner kept it clean. Kid from Winnipeg is the one that signed NWA, the one that took the chance. So so not only did they do what they did, but it was a Canadian guy. That's an awesome guy from little connect connection there. Yeah, and he's been a genius because he doesn't talk about it. It's like he's not in the public eye. He lives a great life. He probably low key. Yeah. keeps it low key, but his name's on the record. Uh, he's also a great guy. Um, but you but sniffed him out, of course. I just was looking at him one day, and I just thought, I fucking, I think you're the guy. But also in that circle, you know, those hockey player guys in L.A., they didn't really know. They'd heard of N.W.A., but I, I, I used to drive to Buffalo to buy import records of a priority because they wouldn't even sell them in Canada. Because and of uh, the content? I don't know. I don't know what the reason was. Maybe he didn't have a distro deal here or something, mm. distribution, but Canadian. Sure. You know. And also, and I'll leave you with this, this idea that Ice Cube said, and we were young when we heard it, he said, fuck crossing over to them, make them cross over to us. That's the right attitude to leave this one on, I think, man. Mm-hmm. Thank you for crossing over here. Thanks, bud. Yeah, we always high-five at the end. Boom. Do you know how the high-five started? Have you heard that story? No, but please. I'm not going to tell you, but I want you to look it up. I'll look it up. Glenn Burke. Glenn Burke, openly gay baseball player in, I think he was playing for the Oakland Athletics at the time, back in the day. Essentially invented the he high coined five. Coined the high five. Essentially, yeah, yeah. And it's just really amazing. We'll look it up on YouTube. Yeah, afterwards. I gotta check this out. Yeah, Brian. Glenn I feel Brian. like there might have been a caveman high five in well, somewhere, but perhaps. Yeah, yeah. But as far as documented, Lisa, if you know, no pictures didn't happen. Glenn Burke. Hey, everyone should check it out. <laughs> totally. All right, yo, thank you so much, man. Hey, thank you, bud. Was that cool? That was yeah. beyond cool, dude. Oh my god. No.